the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. R.D., let me catch you up on what happened yesterday. All right. Mark Johnson was here and announced that he's running for District 15 State Senate because David Sanders is is not running. From what wow. I had understood, and again, this is all innuendo. I, <coughs> I haven't had the chance to talk to David. I'll give him a call tonight and talk to him and see if this is on the up and up. But I heard that he had told his wife that, he wanted to be working in the state house or state Senate for X amount of time. Uh, this was that X amount of time. And so he asked her if he could run one more time if he wasn't primaried. And it just so happened that, uh, Mark uh, Johnson was going to primary and put his name in and, uh, Sanders decided that he wouldn't run for office. Then. Now that's what I've heard. Well, and isn't there a second candidate? That, oh yes. It's Dean Elliott. That's the other. I think that's the district where I live in. Fifteen, yes. yeah, it is. I, I think yes. that is the district that that you've uh, David, that you David live Sanders in. Yeah. district. I think David Sanders was yeah. the senator because so. it takes in all but a sliver of Greenbrier. Uh, is is fifteen, and then it's picked up. Sixteen is is next, then, and that's the big runoff. The 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 uh, Bob Bailey and they, they've and they've opened the uh, Davis. Their name is Brianne Davis Brianne and Bob Bailey. Yeah, so they've opened up the polls today for that election. Early voting. early voting is is on and and running now. So if you're over in District 16, you will want to go vote. You'll want to make sure you vote if you're in 15, because there is no Democrat challenger. So whoever wins the primary for the Republicans is going to be the state senator. Come. 2019 you mean in the okay in district 15 in district 15 that's that's, that's where mark that's where mark johnson's running we hit but he doesn't have a primary does he yes he does have a primary there will be a primary but there vote. is no democrat there's no democrat no voting against who's, who's the primary running against him who's dean the, elliott dean, dean elliott okay is the rep- yeah Republican dean was primary. a state uh house member back in the late 90s i begin i think also think you guys correct me if you you know that any of this is wrong i thought he was like mayor of Maumelle at one time hmm. i don't know I don't, I, and, and maybe he should call in and tell us about himself yeah well <laughs> if he's smart he'll call me and ask to come on the air hmm. uh, like but, candidates but do i don't i don't call the candidates i don't have to do that it's not not for me to do uh, i wait for them to call me and then i will work out a time for them to come on especially if I've had the other candidate on don't have any problem bringing them on. Don't have any problem bringing on Democrats, you know, come on and, and speak, you know, well, I'm gonna let you talk. I don't have any, I'm not afraid of freedom of speech in any way, shape or form. Well, so Mark anyway, Johnson would, Mark Johnson would make an excellent Senator. I believe he will too, you know, so, uh, but we'll see, you know, it's primary. I won't say who I'm for. I try not to do that. The only time I have done that, is in the Senate race when Bozeman won it. And before he declared, there was about eight candidates. 
And just off the top of my head, I think I can remember two or three of them. Uh, there was, uh, of course, uh, Curtis Coleman. There was uh, Colonel Reynolds. He was in it. Um, David Meeks was going to run for Senate. And I forget who the rest of them. There was, was, there was a, a ton was it, of them. Was it Jim Holt and yeah. Jim Holt? And, yeah. And um, yeah, I was just Senate. trying to remember. There were several. Um, Gilbert Baker. Yeah, Gilbert and, was um, was looking. But as soon as John Bozeman stepped into that race, you could hear the kind of all the, the air <laughs> go out of that race. That is just, kind of what happened. Yeah, it was, it was there gone, was, and they all stopped running at that there point. Was, there were hordes of people in that. In that primary, to start off with, yeah, and because then, it was wide open. There wasn't a name, so to speak, as mm-hmm. you would say, in the primary on the Republican side, and it was still that the you know the Republican side of it was was well, questionable. I, well, I, I think prior prior to Bozeman getting into it, I think Gilbert Baker was kind of the supposed darling of the of the establishment, but he ended up not even getting as much as Jim Holt at the end of the. Race and then, well, if and I'm not mistaken, Bozeman they, blew everybody out of the They, water. of course, were running against Blanche Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And everybody right. knew at that point that you had, there was blood in the water <laughs> for Blanche Lincoln. There was no doubt about it. She I tried mean, to straddle the fence. Between. She was already wounded. Whenever, <laughs> whenever she came on my show, I wanted to play. You're so bad. Because I'm going to tell you what. Did you hear me do the interview of her when her last go round and I asked her to explain to me what capitalism was and she could not do it? That's bad. No, I didn't no, hear that. I went to see it. Well she wouldn't know. <laughs> I went to see Blanche Lincoln uh on a trip to Washington like two months before I'm that election. Nice About two lady, months before okay? that election. Nice lady. <clears throat> very, very nice lady. Nice people make real good Real good neighbors, but seldom good representatives. Or senators. <laughs> or senators. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Because sometimes you might want to get something done, and they may have to be <laughs> tough. Because your progress never happens easy, and nice people sometimes finish last in a deal like that. But uh, she was real nice, but she asked me what people were talking about back in, in Arkansas. And I said, and if well. you got to ask, you're out of touch. Uh, yeah, that's right. So I told her, I said, well. You kind of straddled the fence on Obamacare. I mean, everybody thought that you were against it, but kind then you were of. for it. And then, so uh, and then you she burnt the bridges the on both vote. sides. She ended up making Obama mad because she acted like she was going to be against it. Hmm. And then when she got pressure, everybody at home thought, hey, she's going to be against it. This is good. Then she went, ended up going with it, Obama. So <laughs> she made people mad on both sides. She didn't have a friend after it was over. Yeah, that was my assessment of the situation. You, you had two Democrat senators at that time. It hasn't been so long ago that it was all blue. That was, was just about no five red. or six years ago. No That's red not, at all. You know, well, about eight years ago. About Look, has it been that long? Yeah, it's been eight years ago. Eight, yeah. It's all, only eight years, and we need to keep a close eye on Bozeman. Texas having their primary at the moment because now, Bozeman just got elected for his second time, so that would have been six years ago. Six years Last ago. year. So seven. Well, I'm ten, sorry. I'm ten, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. That's, I cut into what yeah. you were saying. Oh, no, no, no. That's fine because all I'm saying is there are all kinds of news reports coming out of Texas early voting, and they're saying that the turnout on the Democrat side is over 100% greater than it's been in the past. Mm. I'm what, telling you, you the left is fired up 
much more than the right ever was during the Tea Party thing. And you want to know why? Trump. Why? why because uh, of Trump. Trump. But the, the right isn't fired up. The right is not fired up and the left the is fired up crazy. Be because there's, there's too many on the right that are just complete purists. And they don't understand. You think it's bad that you can't get a, a Republican to vote exactly the way you want them to? Put a Democrat in there and see how much you like it. There you go. That, that's true. But sometimes when you get too many Republicans, they start not acting like Republicans. Sometimes you need well, sometimes you need a little push from the other side. And, and I, I'm, I'm not just, for just, it, but I'm just saying sometimes if everything's lined up one direction, then they don't have anything to be against. Well, and, and I think they don't have, you know, just like, just like last legislative session, the, the main legislative session last year, there were some speculation in 17. And there's some speculation that we might've had more conservative results if we had a Democrat governor. That's because, what I was just reminded be, of is we need we had, the opposition. We had Republicans that I would never have thought would have said that outrightly on, on the air. <laughs> and they said that. They, and they're still saying it would have, it would have, yeah. But well, if, see, Hillary if Clinton, I told you who it was, you'd freak out right now because you don't remember. Well, if they Joe said it on air, Joe Ferrar, I yeah. do he remember was, he was, actually. He got called in the office for that. He one, got I think. in trouble for that. Yeah. Was, I remember. He was one of the first people that came on the air with us that year, yeah. wasn't, it? wasn't he? And made that statement, and, and it was, yeah. But it was, but that's one of those things that you know, there were there, there was a, a big enough majority of Republicans they could have steamrolled over almost anything the gov- governor wanted to do. If he had been a Democrat, and they would yeah. have had a and stronger they likely to, done likelihood to. And look, everybody has to Boy, understand that-, that when you play ball in politics, if your team is the manager is telling you how he, he wants the, the team to play ball, you try to play ball with them best you can. Problem was in 17 is that a lot of the Republicans knew some of the things that the governor was doing in slow motion, basically was not the way we wanted to move the state. They wanted to move it quicker than that, but they didn't want to wound a Republican governor. We've been better off with Hillary Clinton, (laughs) man. We're not better off with Hillary Clinton in any way. You don't don't mean that. But she would she would have she would have livened up the the, the Republicans. Well, I, I, they would have fought fine. her tooth. They would have fought her tooth and nail. Listen, Bill Clinton and Hillary were bound and determined to have socialized medicine and have a health insurance for everybody in the state of Arkansas. That started back in the nineties, right? It started in the nineties. They were bound and determined to do it. Uh, you know, you can say Bill and Hillary. They did their best. They worked hard for it. But they couldn't get it done because Arkansas was too conservative of a state. And we say, hey, you know, health care or health insurance is something that you should have to work and pay for, especially health insurance. Now, health care, I'm all for having like a county clinic that you can go to if you need to, if you can't afford to go to the doctor. But health insurance, Bill and Hillary Clinton could not do it. And now that we have a Republican governor and a House and Senate, in control, we're going to see if they fund it this week. Hmm. Well, but I, the, the I, have, that, I have a feeling is they're going to fund it. There's, there's, a, there's a strong um, history of Republicans supporting crony capitalism, and 
the fact is Obamacare is a, is a big— Blue Cross it, and Blue Shield. It, it, Obamacare is a great example of crony capitalism. You've got government yep. in bed with business. And that, that's what you have is that you've got giant insurance companies getting these perks and handouts from government at, the, at our expense, of course. And that's and that's kind of what you see with the histories or history shows that Republicans have a tendency to do that, just like Democrats do. But Democrats have a tendency to probably do it in a different in different areas. Right. Well, I tell you, see what Arkansas for our listeners out there, Arkansas is the only state that gives the taxpayers Medicaid money to an insurance company. Oh, but Arkansas but is the only state in the United States of America where the taxpayers' money goes to an insurance company. Oh, but we're leading. We, we, we're innovative. <laughs> we're we have the very best that we could get, don't cut, you know? We're on the cutting edge of mediocrity. How did we get here? We got here because people like big government, and we don't have enough intestinal fortitude to actually stand up and tell them no. We're here because but we're here now. a Democrat governor brought this to the state, and we couldn't stop it. So what they tried to do is mold it into a way that they thought was a more market-driven way of doing it, thinking that it meant anything because it meant nothing because it was being run by the Democrats. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter what you put forth. By the end of it, the Democrats would get rid of anything that challenged their program. So it was all you know futility that was going on. But what it did do is had... The Republicans that signed into it stuck because whenever you give somebody a free program, and I asked this question a hundred times if I asked it once, Paul, you were there, you know I asked this question. How are you going to take it away when you want to get rid of it? Right, and that was the big and, question. And what, what, what kind of what answer do we get? Uh, that yeah, was about it. But because and, and, they knew from the beginning they had no intentions of ever getting rid of it. That's well, I don't the point. Think, you know what? I don't you, know if that's if that's true. But they should just do some historical looking. Reagan would have told them from the very beginning in his uh, time as president that if you start a government program, it's the closest thing to eternal uh, life, life that you will have here on earth. Secondly, look at uh, Lieutenant Governor Griffin called them personally, every freaking one of them, and told them, don't do it. And he was sitting in Washington while they were pushing this, and they still did it, Sanders and the rest of you. I'm glad, David. I don't nothing against you. You're a great guy. I love you. But you were wrong on that program, and you know you were wrong now. So were all the Charlie other ones, Collins and, Collins and oh, what's his name that yeah. wanted to have a uh, be senator and Flippo beating Burris. John, I can't remember. Was that John Burris? Yeah, Burris. John Burris. You I did. mean, he was a big pusher of it as well. They got in bed with the Democrats, and now we've got uh, you know what we don't want. We've got a cross. We've got a mess. And so, what what do we end up with? And what do we do with all these people that are now addicted to, to this subsidized well, medicine? I think the governor said it's already ingrained. That's what he said. And you know what? I'm, I don't that, think I can even argue with that No, point. you can't. It is ingrained. There's no question Our about it. Our kids want it. Our kids, well, much as we hate over, it, over, they well, love what, it. 51%, 51% of them probably love it. But the people out there that are middle class to, to upper lower class, 
that are paying I don't a thousand that. to fifteen hundred dollars a month. I'm going to tell you why I don't agree with you. Okay. Our kids first. When our kids first came up, it cut right into middle class Arkansans. What did they do? They dropped their kids off their own insurance and put them on our kids first, a government program, so they saved the money on having to buy their own insurance. Right. They wanted something They wanted something free. 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 They wanted something free. That's where it's at. And I'm just telling you, people have been this way since the very beginning of time. But the fact of it is, we know it's not free. Well, okay? It's not. It didn't just magically appear out of nowhere. Somebody the, pays for but it. But here it is, Elizabeth. They don't care as long as they're not the ones paying for it. As long as it's not their it. pocket. Right. I get well, that. And, and the fact is that on some level, it is sort of like being free because Arkansas, from what I understand, is a welfare state. We actually take in more federal dollars than when we send out. Well, we take in a whole lot more in the last five years than we were taking in before the well, last and, and five I, years. I think the last number I heard was, is it a dollar forty-two for every dollar we send out that we're taking back, and so it's, it's going so, up. So we're basically a welfare state, and that's one of the reasons why we can't shrink government is because we got so many politicians and people addicted to free money. All right, got to take a break. But I'm just saying, I believe that the whole belief a lot of us have about free markets and that people want to be free ain't true. I just I'm beginning that to think that the majority of people, if they think it's free. And they don't have to pay for it. They could care about that it's you that's paying for it. They don't see it as they're they're walking to your next door neighbor and you're saying, you know, I could really use a color TV. You got three. I don't have any. I'm going to take one of yours. They don't have any problem with doing it. It's already happening. But they'll vote for the government to do it. Yes, they will. You're doggone right they will. I got to watch my mouth. You guys will be washing my mouth out with soap. I'll be doing the pod. Tide challenge. All right, don't forget about uh, PI roofing. Uh, Joel Johnson says this I am confident that whatever your roofing needs are, our team will be able to develop a plan to solve the problem according to our standards of excellence and quality assurance. It would be our privilege and honor to serve you. And that's how they view it. And uh, it's not just fixing your roof where you got a leak now. It's fixing the things that get destroyed after the leak has happened. The water gets in your house. It uh, does bad things to your drywall. It it causes stains on your ceiling, and your insulation gets screwed up, and on and on. Well, now with PI Roofing, they'll take care of all of that. They'll do the painting. They'll do the roofing. Uh, they'll do the drywall repair, all of it from one company, and that's PI Roofing. And Home Solutions, of course, they're still your roof leak detectives, have been around for a long time now and have proven themselves to be, I believe, the best roofing company here in central Arkansas. Call them at 501-687-6246. You'll always reach a live person, and they'll get someone dispatched to your house. Uh, If you've got water coming in, if it's raining outside and the water is coming in, you call PI Roofing, and they will respond. Or you can visit them on the web at piroofing.com. All right. We are back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll be uh, having Dr. Piper on with us here in just a moment. Russ is reaching out to him now. Uh, Dr. Everett Piper, who is uh, from a university over in Oklahoma. I think it's in Oklahoma City, if I'm not mistaken. Let me take a quick look here. I've got his... 
Yeah, I thought it was Oklahoma Wesleyan. Yes. And that's what I'm hearing is correct. So uh, he is going to join us here in just a moment. And we're going to talk about this problem that's going on uh, it, with uh, political correctness. Uh, I don't have time to play it, and it would take up a whole hour. Uh, but Friday from 3.30 to 4.30, I'm going to do a segment with Robert Steinbach, and we're going to play a, a recording that we have of a teacher at a university that is meeting with other university professors and they are questioning why she is teaching what she is teaching because it does not toe the line with the administration and what they want, what they want taught. And they, this is, listening to that 42 minutes is like listening to a condensed version of 1984. Is it not to you, Elizabeth? It's, it's very reminiscent and it's very spooky very very spooky she actually had the temerity to teach a fair class and show both the conservative and the liberal side of an of a topic yeah and then was attacked by the i mean mean, left her in tears i mean uh, we'll be playing some of it on friday between 30 3 30 and 4 30 robert steinbach who's a legal uh you know professor over bowen school of law sent it to him i got got, let me bring up the doc Dr. Everett Piper is, has joined us now. Doctor, listen to what my my lawyer uh, friend says about after he hears this piece. And uh, he sent me back a text on it. He normally is on every Monday with me, and we talk about freedom of speech. And he just sent it to me, and he goes, Oh, my God, have me on sooner, please. This is just outrageous. And I said, how about Friday? We, I got some time there. He says, done. I said, well, then book it. So he said, done again. So he's looking forward to <laughs> he it, can't wait. It's in. This is it's just incredible. This would make your, your blood run cold, Doc. I'm just telling you, this would make, I know how you are. I've met you at CPAC. We've, we've talked eye to eye, and I know what you believe. This would blow your mind. Did you have you have you have you heard about this piece of audio? Oh, absolutely! And thanks for having me on. And sure, this I challenge one thing you just said. It doesn't really blow my mind because this is my world. This is what I live with. This is the monster we've created in the academy. This is why I wrote my book, Not a Daycare. I'm confronting this nonsense because these millennials, these students, actually think that their college should coddle them and comfort them rather than confront them. Anytime there's a contrary idea, anytime they're made to feel uncomfortable, their reaction is to protest it and shut down the debate. And the irony is here that they were calling her a fascist. They're calling Dr. Summers a fascist. Well, what these students are doing is the textbook example of ideological fascism. It's not academic freedom. It's not intellectual freedom. Uh, a, a fascist was a Roman bundle of sticks bound together so tightly that it couldn't be broken. You had to be part of the bundle of the common bond. And that's what we see on these campuses right now. If you don't think like we think, if you don't believe like we believe, we will crush you. You must be part of us or we will crush you. This is fascism, pure and simple. It's not freedom. And she is absolutely right to call these students out on it. And the irony here is Summers is much more liberal quote-unquote, and progressive than I would ever think to be. 
she's a feminist. She's pro-gay marriage. I would disagree with her on much of her agenda, but she'd have more academic freedom on my conservative Christian college campus than she would have at Lewis and Clark, because at least I would show her courtesy and respect for the debate. I wouldn't shout her down, nor would my students. Well, I'm wondering if you're following the story that's going on in Arkansas right now about the University of Arkansas trying to get rid of uh, tenure for uh, for, uh, teachers if they're not showing collegiality, if they're not being working with the group. And Robert has been fighting against this, and we've raised enough of a stink right now that we've got it kind of stymied right now. The governor has gotten involved in it. He doesn't like what he's seen, but it comes down to, you know who the first people go if it's all about collegiality? It's going to be the conservatives that go. Absolutely. It's the conservative voice that's unpopular. It's the conservative voice that makes people feel uncomfortable today because it's the conservative who believes in a time-tested truth outside of these PC assumptions. We believe there's an answer. Conservatives believe there's an answer. We don't boil it all down to power and politics. We actually believe there's an eternal principle out there that should come to play when we have a debate. We know that you can't play a game without a referee, if you will. We know that there's a truth, a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. So when I say something like that, am I going to lose my tenure? When I say something like that, will I be protested on the campus in which I'm employed or the one that I've been invited to speak to? The answer seems obvious. We don't like your ideas, so in an Orwellian fashion, we're going to shut you down, and we're going to claim that we're shutting you down because we're tolerant all the while, We shout, we can't tolerate your intolerance, or we hate you hateful people, or we're sure that nothing is sure. This worldview is self-refuting at every turn. These people are sawing off the branch upon which they sit, and they don't know it. Yeah, it's scary. Hmm. It really, it really, but it's 1984, Brave New World. It's all of those books that I had to read when I was a younger person, and uh, we read them, and they were warning us, Animal Farm, all of it. They were warning us what was coming down the pike if we didn't wake up. And you know what really makes me mad? I was part of the free speech movement when I was in college, and now I watch the students want to throw the First Amendment completely away. That's because power has replaced principles. Whenever you, and here's another thing, whenever you teach victimization, whenever you teach victimization, you're going to have a predictable response, and it's going to be vengeance and violence and vice. Unless virtue is the goal of the academy, unless veritas truth is your objective goal of the academy, if you dumb it down to victimization, then I will demand my pound of flesh and so will you. And then it digresses. The academy digresses to vengeance and vice because they were taught victimization. And that's the interesting thing because Christina Hoff Summers actually distinguishes her brand of feminism as equity feminism as opposed to the traditional progressive feminism, which is what? vengeance feminism. Mm -hmm. In other words, she is standing in direct opposition to this victimization and this vengeance that's predictable when you get rid of the eternal principles of equality and equity. Yeah, it's it's interesting what we are seeing. This whole Me Too movement bothers me seriously because uh, they said (coughs) USA Today was complaining (coughs) about the Oscars uh, the other night because Gary Oldman was allowed to win an Oscar for Darkest Hours because sometime in the past, his ex-wife said that he beat her. It never went to court. 
She never filed charges, but he was guilty on a woman's word. And I look at it, and due process is out the window now. I think you would agree with me on that. Oklahoma Wesleyan University, my conservative Christian university, and I as its president, were the only ones in the nation. We stood alone. No one else joined us in a lawsuit against the Department of Education and the Office of Civil Rights under the Obama administration, which told us we had to change the rules for adjudicating and investigating sexual harassment charges on our campus. They told us we had to violate due process and convene kangaroo courts on our campus of faculty, staff, and students to investigate these cases. We said no. We will not violate the constitutional rights of our student, and we won't drag a woman through uh, a process of being violated a second time in front of a court of her peers. We're going to take it to the police and let professionals take care of this like we have for the last hundred years. And just two weeks ago, we won. Two weeks ago, Oklahoma Wesleyan prevailed, and the DOE rescinded its dear colleague letter and said, you're right. Fantastic. I've got my power panel here. RG is here. Uh, He wants to ask you a question, doctor. Hey, Dr. Popper, thank you for being on the show today. Hey, talking to school teachers and public schools and all the federal money that's coming into the states with the no child left behind in the race to the top, uh, I believe we're seeing some of the same things in our high schools and our local public schools that you're talking about in the colleges to where it's about the money and getting the funding and with the testing and what's in these tests being controlled by the federal government also, I believe some of the freedom of our teachers are being taken away in our public schools much the same way they are in our colleges with the focus mainly being on how many grants they get at the end of the year. Are you hearing about any of that in Oklahoma? Oh, absolutely. It's not just Oklahoma or your state. It's all across the nation, and it's called Common Core. I stood vehemently against Common Core and spoke out and wrote against it and, and traveled the state. Uh, in debates against it. And why? I don't have anybody at Oklahoma Wesleyan University telling my math teachers how to teach two plus two is four. And you know why? Because I know that if I hire somebody who actually starts teaching that it's five, there's a way to solve the problem. I fire them and go get somebody else who knows how to teach. I don't don't need to have you or somebody in San Francisco or somebody in Washington, D.C. telling my faculty how to teach. And we've got faculty that are ranked in the top top as the top faculty in the nation here and we're recognized as one of the best universities in u.s news and world report and the government isn't telling me how to do any of this i just hire good faculty common core dumbs down education to what's common and what's average and it ignores what's exceptional we should be teaching virtue we should be teaching veritas we should be teaching what's exceptional we shouldn't be teaching what's average we shouldn't be teaching how to how kids kids how to go get a uh, a career, we should be teaching them how to develop more character. And we shouldn't be teaching them just how to earn more money. We should actually be teaching them how to develop more morality. And if we forget that that's the goal of the academy and let the government dumb everything down to this average common standard, our students are all, the, they're the losers. Our students are going to be the losers because they're going to be acting out like these college kids. <laughs> I'll take a breath here. The reason these college kids are behaving like spoiled brats is they've been taught to behave like spoiled brats by their junior highs and their high schools. So it's, it's as predictable as the sunrise. They're going to behave that way when they get to college. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. We're uh, happy to have him on again with us. We try to have him on about once every five or six months because it's nice to have 
the winds of reason blow through this studio from time to time. Doctor, if you'll hold on with us, we'll be with you in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break, come back, talk to you some more. Uh, Don't forget about Lewis Family Beef. They got their ranch right out here in Greenbrier, and their cattle are born there, raised there. They don't use any antibiotics on their cattle. If they do, uh, they got something wrong with them, and they have to use antibiotics. They were not put into the food chain uh, and sold to you, uh, uh, you know, for, for meat, nor do they fill them up with hormones. Hormones are produced naturally by the uh, the cow. They don't need extra hormones. Uh, typically, that's done just like uh, steroids are used with a person to build muscle. Uh, it's clean beef for your family, and it's got free delivery anywhere here in central Arkansas. They'll sell you a quarter of a cow, a half of a cow, or a whole cow. I suggest you get together maybe with members of your family, split the cost, and uh, get that beef at a really reduced price and fill up your freezers. Uh, They take the cow to the packing house. They're going to call you, set up how you want that cow to be cut up. All you PETA people out there, people who love tasty animals, you're going to love the way that the packing house does this. Uh, They get it all done. They tell the Lewis family beef folks, they deliver it to your home absolutely free. So give Cody or Sarah uh, Lewis uh, a call. 501-514-1494. 501-514-1494. Or go to their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Lewis family beef. Now, I've, I've tasted their hamburger. I've had their steaks. I've had their roasts, and I'll tell you this, tastes better than anything you'll get at one of the big box stores. That number again, 501-514-1494. Our guest is Dr. Everett Piper, president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He's the author of Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. You know, Doc, and, I'm, and then I got somebody else has a question for you here. When you... When you completely disregard God and you disregard truth, you end up and you you just think everything is matter and chance. Then you have no way of determining what the truth is because, according to these people, everybody has their own truth, and that to me seems the most ignorant thing that anybody can ever say. There's either truth or there's no truth. Am I right or wrong? G.K. Chesterton tells you that you're right. He's told us that when you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty, but rather thousands and thousands of little laws that rush in to fill the vacuum. So if we ignore God and get rid of his ten simple laws, and frankly, Jesus narrowed it down to two. So when we say we refuse to live by your ten or your two laws, what happens? We don't get more liberty. We get thousands and thousands, reams upon reams of little laws produced by Washington, D.C., by government, by power, by the pedagogues, by the politicians, those smarter than thou start dictating how we are to live our lives. When we declare ourselves to be as God, committing the original sin over and over again, we don't get liberty. Power rushes in to fill the vacuum. A vacuum is always filled, and that power is rushing in to control the population because we refuse to acknowledge that God is God and we should live by, live by his simple rules. Therefore, we lose our freedom. Yeah, that's, you know, Dr. Francis Schaeffer always said that it is always going to lead to tyranny. Always. That, the thought That's, process of the left always leads to tyranny. And when you have anarchy, which is what we have right now, moral anarchy, intellectual anarchy, 
how do you solve the problem of anarchy? Well, the human solution is a tyrant. The human solution is a tyranny. The only way to solve it differently is to do what our founding fathers did and recognize that there are self-evident truths Mm -hmm. endowed to us by a creator, not created by us, but given to us by God. That's the only way to avoid tyranny. All right. I want to turn it over to Paul. He's got a question for Hey, this is Paul Calvert here. From what you were describing earlier on college campuses, it sounds like a bunch of children who never grew up. And so it sounds like, and I think what we have in this country is we've got generation after generation of people who who start off in government schools or maybe perhaps a private school in some cases. They go to college, then they become a college professor, and they never actually get into the real world and grow up to be real human beings that are productive. And I think we've had several generations of this now, and I think this is kind of what we're reaping. It is. And again, I hate to keep hawking my book here, but (laughs) why is my book called Not a Daycare? Because I'm (laughs) suggesting that's what our universities have become. We're coddling and comforting these kids. We don't want them to feel uncomfortable. God forbid that they feel challenged in their heart, mind, and soul. We're going to give them a participation trophy and make them feel good about themselves rather than confronting them with facts. How many times did your coach tell you, no pain, no gain? How many times did your granddad or your dad tell you it's time to grow up and suffer the consequences of your behavior and learn from this? Put on your big big boy pants. When did we we get away from the idea of, of, of people who actually know what they're doing in life and good, solid business professionals teaching other people to be other to, to be good business professionals as opposed to people who go to college and they never actually do anything productive in their lives to, to speak of, and then they're going to teach kids how to be productive. How does that work? Well, it's when I can't give you a date, and I don't know that anybody <laughs> could do that. But I, I can say this. When we started buying the cultural lie, of it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. How many times have you heard that? That's nonsense. (laughs) It makes no sense. But we hear it all the time. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. Mm -hmm. Then everybody becomes a rule unto themselves. That's right. Everybody has the right to get what they want, and that's an immature, selfish, childish attitude rather than a mature adult attitude that recognizes that there has to be sacrifice, there has to be pain in order to get gain, that culture should be selfless, not self-centered, we, these are Christian principles, and when we step away from the Judeo-Christian ethic as a standard of how to get along with people and how to recognize whether or not we're contributing rather than hurting culture, rather than hurting church, rather than hurting our corporation, it's that selfishness and self-absorption that we've been teaching and rewarding for the last several decades. And when you teach self-absorption and when you teach narcissism, you're going to get self-absorbed and narcissistic students. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. You, you immerse kids into this garbage, and guess what? They they come out as garbage. Yeah. Garbage in, garbage out. Dr. Everett Piper is, again, the president of uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, author of Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. And remember, the founding fathers said that the truth was found in the creator, and what he said was the truth, not what we say is the truth with that i gotta ha- give you give you a do today uh professor let's have you back on maybe uh next month uh, what do you think all right blessings guys Appreciate thank you, you. thank to you dr everett piper always oh, wow. always a great guy to have on. Wow. such a breath awesome. of fresh yeah, air he really is good he don't <laughs> he don't uh he don't cover he doesn't the, mince words the bs i'll just put it that way all right we've got to get to fox news when we come back we got more things to talk about plus Uh, Congressman Westerman is supposed to join us in the second half hour of next hour. And then we'll have 4 o'clock. We'll have wide open discussion. If you want to get into it, 823-0965. Final hour today, the Bible, guys. 
You got a question for them? Why don't you email it to me? Bibleguys at SalemLR.com. All right, we continue the Dave Ellswick Show. Hope you enjoyed Dr. Uh, Everett Piper. He's been on. That's about the fifth time we've had him on. Boy, I enjoyed him. You know, he's a lot of fun. And uh, he... A lot of truth. He does not speak with forked tongue. (laughs) Just saying. I've always said I like someone that stands on a firm foundation. And whenever you see them about to talk about something, you know where they stand and you know what the answer is going to be. Yeah, you definitely... I... When I have heard, I ask him a question, I know what's coming back at me. All right. He says the same thing over and over again. He's the closest that I've found uh, as a speaker to Francis Schaeffer mm-hmm. from the 80s uh, that I've ever found. In fact, uh, in my, our life group, we've been studying the Christian Manifesto uh, by Francis Schaeffer. And uh, Sunday night, I played part of one of his speeches. And you got all done, and I, I asked everybody what they thought about it. And they go, yeah, that's today. And, I, and I, in fact, it might be a little worse. I said, it probably is, because that speech is from 1982. And they all just looked at me. I said, yeah, I tell you, the guy was kind of a prophet. Yeah. He knew what was, go- what was going to happen. Because he said with the left that they do what they're doing, where there is no truth, that everybody has their own form of truth, that there is no absolutes, there's none of that, if it's just matter and energy. And in the end, it's just man, depending on man, to come up with whatever man thinks is right. The only place it can end is in tyranny. There's a, what a there's, sad existence. There's, yeah. a, there's, I mean, there's really a logical progression hopeless. to some of that. And, and you end up with, with stuff like what you maybe saw in, in, in Nazi Germany. Uh, where, where well, you have of people, course well, that's what caused that, all a, that. that. That is a logical progression. And some of it's just basic, based on selfishness and egotism. And, and so what happens when... A group of people get together, you know, and think, you know what, we're we're superior to to these other people out in the world, and so you know, we need to kind of thin the herd some a little pigs. bit. And, and some pigs are more equal than other Thank pigs. Thank you. And so and so, what happens is that you know we we kind of get in groups and think, you know, we're superior to the others, and these other people they kind of annoy us. We need to kind of thin the Watch herd a little bit. Nancy Pelosi, listen, how Nancy Pelosi talks about Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, just listen the way. She talks about Americans. And this is the insanity. They talk Listen like to that. Listen how, how Hollywood talks about us. But they talk like that, but yet they still live here, and they still want to live here. And the, everything that they think they like, if they really thought about it, is exactly what they're trying to get rid of. I don't think even the left is going to like living in this country in another generation or so. Maybe not. I really believe that. Maybe they not. They couldn't possibly like it. It's I going mean, to be so degenerate, it could not be a good place to be. Well, under any belief like Romans system. Romans 1 said, they send and look for better ways to send. Yeah, I tell you. Yeah. I like Dr. Piper whenever he was talking about fascism. That's, I think about fascism sometimes when I look at I politics. I did not know, though, listen to him he talking about the bundle of sticks and by bringing them all <laughs> fascist, together. Fascist. It, well, yeah, that, that's what the term I, fascism I'd never heard that from. either. I thought that was excellent. Hmm. Yeah. That was worth having him on today. There's, but whenever I think about fascism, now that he's described that, I've got a better more, more than, idea of where it started. More, but More we, than one thing is referred to that means a bundle of sticks. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's true. Well, more than one bad thing. Uh, but that's exactly right. So, mm. you know, whenever Jennifer and I were talking and you look at, at even uh, uh, the state politics, I mean, fascism has to come into mind because – there's a group, and either you're either a part of that group or you're not no, part no, of that I, group. I, you know, I think crony capitalism is is a prime example of fascism, and, and we have crony capitalism 
very much alive and well in Arkansas and throughout the nation. And that's what we're seeing with a lot of different things. And, it, and so much of, of, of politics is a form of fascism. Why, why do you think lobbying works? It's yeah, because it, so many times it's, it's, it's a form of using government to, um, to better yourself as opposed to using justice and liberty, using government to manipulate things or to hurt people or to violate people's rights because, well, I want to get richer. Well, if you have a crony capitalist and he's part of the the inside and he wants the enact change, you have to have a group that has the ability to enact the change that mm-hmm. the people want if you want them to continue to contribute and be part of the group. Yeah, well, and, and some of it's some of it's just peddling influence or whatever else. And so you you end up with coming up with neat little slogans or. Or, or maybe being able to to ridicule people and 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 cause them to feel uncomfortable, and so they'll vote for your garbage, and 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 sometimes it's 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 a matter of well, it's for the children. You need to support this because it's for the children, as opposed to to actually coming out and telling the truth that you know this is going to to um to harm our competition and put them out of business, and you should do this. If they actually if they actually portrayed it that way, nobody would ever vote for the garbage. That's yeah, I agree. But but the Indian result ends up being that. You know, these, these new regulations, yeah, they're going to cost us $2, but it's going to cost our competition $2 too. But that $2 per transaction is is enough to kill the, kill the small business. Yeah, but look at all the jobs it creates in, in the government side, just like our <laughs> tire tax. I went and got four tires put on my son's car this weekend. There was the $3 tire removal tax per mm-hmm. tire. There was a $1 tire installation tax. And then if you didn't want to take the tire with you, there was a $1 tire disposal tax. Oh, they charge, so so they charge five that. bucks now, huh? So right now, if you get four tires put on your car, I paid $60. 20 of the $60 was a state tax wow. to get four and tires put on the car. And that didn't include sales tax. So, now, that's not including sales tax. Which is another, right. what, 8 or 9% uh, another, or Yeah, another 8 or 9% on top of that. Hmm. Wow. All right, so... Congressman Westerman is going to join us early because he's got a vote coming up. And, uh, Congressman, is this the flip act that you're going to be voting on? Oh, uh, no, not today. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, we'll be, we just, uh, got a, a democratic motion to, to recommit, which we always want to vote no on those. And then we got a, uh, a bill to reduce some regulatory burdens. So, that's what's on the on the docket for this afternoon. But the Flip Act, I, I filed that bill yesterday, and uh, hopefully we'll get a hearing on it sometime. So, so what does that do? And, but it's the Federal Lands Infrastructure Partnership Act. You know, we uh, when you look at all the infrastructure needs across the country, we've got about eighteen billion dollars of need uh, in the uh, on federal lands, predominantly in the Department of Interior and the Park Service. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Um, there's something called the Land and Water Conservation Fund that it's was set up in 1965, so it takes part of the royalty off of energy development. Mm-hmm. And when this was first put in place, about 60% of it went to the states uh, to do uh, projects in the states. But over the years, it's gotten down to where only about 15% of it goes to the states. And most of it's being used by the federal government to buy more land when the federal government already owns about a third of the country. Well, they so should, uh, maybe they should be selling land and paying off the debt. Yeah, or <laughs> uh, or taking care of the land they've got before they start 
continue to buy more land. And what we want to do with the uh, uh, with this bill is put more of the money back into the states and require that 75% of what the federal government spends is going into maintenance of facilities that they've already got. So as we as we look at infrastructure across the country and all the needs and how you fund it, I think this is a, a great way to uh, take funds that are already there that were set up uh, to provide access to public lands and use them to uh, keep up with the maintenance. That sounds good, Bruce. This is R.D. Thanks for being on the show today. That's the way I feel about uh, highways. I believe we have enough highways in the state of Arkansas, but they always seem to be trying to raise money to uh, to uh, build more highways whenever I, I believe it would be a good investment to uh, invest and take care of the ones that we got. Yeah, we need to take care of, of what we've got. You know, as the population grows, there are uh, needs to increased capacity on on highways there's uh interstate 49 over in the western part of the state that uh has been on the books for a long time this goes from new orleans up to kansas city and the, the missing link in it is from fort smith down to ashdown so that's uh that's something of national significance as far as moving products um uh, across the country and even to the ports so um you know those those kind of projects that are more federal government projects I think there will always be a need for them, but uh, we do have to take care of what we've got. Uh, and, and you know, one of the problems is the regulatory culture that we're in where it uh, takes a lot of expense and effort just to get started on a project and uh, drives the cost way up uh, because of delays and, and all the things associated with that. So we're, we're attacking the infrastructure. Uh, obstacle that we've got in the country from a lot of different ways um you know there's this private public partnership concept that doesn't really work in rural america because you can't collect enough tolls off of uh, rural roads but those roads are very important to get uh, products uh you know from where they're produced to the markets and to the ports uh, but it's a it's a multi-pronged approach and this uh, flip act is just one part of it all right, so let me ask some of the big questions that are going on right now. Have things calmed down in the House yet over guns? Has Parkland happened and now people have let gotten their emotions under control and are starting to look at this in a much more logical and analytical way? I mean, it depends on which side of the House you're, you're on, but I don't <laughs> know that there was ever a lot of... Uh, knee-jerk reaction or anything on the on the Republican side. And, you know, one thing, we passed something called the Nick Fix um, last year in the House uh, to fix some glitches in the background check system. It also had the, uh, the concealed carry reciprocity language in it as well. Uh, that's over in the Senate. They've, they've done nothing with it. Um, and... What I'm working on is how do we make our schools not such a soft target? And we got some great examples in Arkansas of that. Uh, Lake Hamilton School over in Garland County, where I'm from, uh, they've had a program in place for 25 years. This was before the Jonesboro shooting, before Columbine, and uh, pretty pretty creative and some forward thinkers that uh, got it set up where the school could actually uh, be a uh, like a security company, and they can 
have their own commission security officer. So they've had employees that have gone through uh, security training and have all of the license to be a commission security officer. Uh, they advertise that the superintendent and assistant superintendent has this license, but they've got other employees who aren't teachers that nobody knows who they are, but they know that there's several of them scattered around the campus that mm-hmm. uh, have access to weapons that are under a, a double lock and have um, bulletproof vests, and they have a plan in place to mm-hmm. react to, to an active shooter. Now, that coupled with um, you know security systems getting into schools and some uniformed security officers, um, I think they've taken on a lot of responsibility to do everything they can to protect their kids. The what? superintendent over there told me that he said, you know, we've got a lot of fire extinguishers in the building, and if there's a fire, we're going to get one of those fire extinguishers and try to put it out and save some kids' lives. We're not firefighters, um, but we're going to do everything we can to protect our kids, and that's their concept with the uh, the commission security officer program. Hey, Bruce, uh, and, Bruce, let me, let me yeah. jump in. I'm being told that you're being called to the floor, so uh, I'll let you make your way, and you do your business and, uh, and vote the way we we expect you to vote, all right? Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. I either, know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, appreciate you taking a few minutes to, to let me. Let me chat. One other thing on that school security. Yeah. Uh, in rural rural districts, like in the fourth district of Arkansas, most of Arkansas, um, you know, these uh, school administrators know that in an active shooter situation, it could be 20 or 30 minutes before the sheriff's office or the state police respond, unless one of them happens to be driving by the school mm-hmm. at the time. They also know that in an active shooter situation, there's a victim every 10 seconds. So uh, they want to... Uh, go to the threat and end the threat. And when the authorities get there, they want to get out of the way and let them uh, do their job. But hopefully, you know, by making these schools a, a much harder target, they'll prevent um, uh, the shooting in the first place. All right. We, we appreciate you, Congressman. Thanks a lot. You're voting on banking. Get down there and protect our banking rights for us. We appreciate you. <laughs> All righty, babe. We'll talk day. to you later now. Bye-bye. All right. So I, I was getting notification by text that he needed to shut up. <laughs> and so I, I was getting him off so that he could go vote. They were calling uh, him. Talk, calling they're they're, they're, they're going to come and uh, harass you. Huh? Yeah, they were harassing me. I just uh-huh. I just said, I, I said, sorry, just a short vote, so I didn't want him to miss it. And I go, hey, he wanted to say something else. <laughs> and so yeah, I'm not going to argue with the congressman yeah. if he wants to stay stay and talk a little while longer we'll get him on in the near future again and 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 have at least a half hour with him and and have him join us you know claiming your social security benefits can be a real tough thing uh you can lose thousands of dollars over lifetimes of benefits with social security if you don't know about the changes that have made been made by the government to the social security benefits and how to claim them so ultimately that can also cause you increased taxes and higher medicare premiums don't forget that David Lucas hosts the David Lucas show here on News Radio 96.5 FM. The Answer has hosted 17 educational social security workshops last year. Every one of them was uh you know every one of them had to be uh, and were sold out because of his expertise. Uh, next year's uh, workshops uh, are now or this year's workshops are now being uh, worked out. First one's coming up in March, March 29th and 30th. 
If you want to attend one of those events, you got to reserve that seat now, or you can be left out in the code. It's 18 bucks. Includes a 34-page maximizing Social Security workbook. Uh, you don't want to get cheated out of your money. So call 501-653-6690. That's 501-653-6690. Or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, we're back with you here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, our thanks to the congressman for joining us. Look, I said uh, they're telling him to shut up. They weren't telling him to shut up. Uh, basically, uh, he was being called for a vote. It was a serious vote that was uh, coming up, uh, dealing, uh, it seems like to me from what I was reading, uh, was going to be dealing with uh, banking. I think that they got something going on about more of the, uh, oh, who was the, uh, Frank Dodd Frank Dodd Frank the Dodd Frank yeah I had to think about uh, running gay prostitutes out of his apartment mm-hmm. and, oh yeah Frank's oh, that, uh, that, that's lo- it was. That yeah. lovely mental image yeah I remember him. that uh, anyway we uh, it had something to do with Dodd Frank saying it was a big it was a big vote so just know mm-hmm. that uh, Bruce is doing doing the job up there for us he's trying as hard as he can to do what he wants to do. Uh, I was just talking during the break and I heard something that I did not know. When, when did you find out about that? Uh, Joe Farrar decided not to run again. Uh, last Tuesday night, uh, or no, it was last Thursday night. Uh, Vicky Farrar after, after they shut down the chance of anybody going in and wanting to run. Right. After, after the time was up to file, uh, uh, Joe's wife, Vicki, is a member of the Crime Watch that I'm a part of. And uh, she said that Joe did not file to uh, rerun for his position today. Did you say why? Uh, was he just tired yeah, of it? Or what? He's, uh, he's went back in the private practice. He's a therapist. Right. And he has a, ther- he has a clinic in uh, Jacksonville now and a clinic in Cabot. And I also know that he has a... Uh, he has a laundromat that he runs also. So she just said that he's working too hard with his with his uh, private practice and that uh, he doesn't have the time to devote to it that uh, that that it deserves or that it really needs to devote to it. It's so, called you got to run a business, right? I mean, you got you're not making enough money as a, an elected official. They make some money. I'm not saying they're not, but typically it's not enough to really run your family on. Well, see, uh, Joe was doing it all wrong. I guess he needed to either, you know, open up a consulting business and start <laughs> consulting people on how to get bills to pass. But uh, just like uh, uh, that, I, I've heard other people say, you know, all honest politicians don't make that much money in politics. But That's some true. of them, some of them do find a way to do it. Oh, some <laughs> of them do, and then some of them end up cooling their heels in jail. Well, that's true. That's true also. <laughs> Probably not. Maybe yeah, not nearly enough of them. Yeah, yeah that's maybe. Been, that might be true, too. So, uh, so anyway, so nobody that I knew of in the Republican committee had any idea. Yeah, I, I had no I idea. Had any idea. And uh, a quorum court member from Cersei that I had met at a couple of functions, I can't re- remember his name. I think it's, uh, I won't say for sure. I think it's Cooper. But uh, but anyway, uh I'll get the information for you. Okay. And, uh, I'll go back. All right. Back with me. 
here on the Dave Ellswick <laughs> Show. I was looking at a, a video. I'm, I was just laughing. A little boy, I'm saying maybe a year old, 13, 14 months at the most, comes out of the bathroom, making his way out, <laughs> butt naked. All of right, course. got his back to you. And he'd been sitting on a towel, and a towel was stuck in his crack. <laughs> and he was dragged. <laughs> it had I, Russ, I knew it was time for me to start talking. I was just laughing so hard I couldn't. <laughs> I I didn't dare open my microphone up. It was so funny. I love some of the stuff you come across on Instagram. It sounds like me with animal videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do it all it day was, long. It was funny, but this this little boy, and he turned around, and looked at the camera, just smiled. <laughs> It was too good. Kids are like beagles. They're real cute when they're young, but they grow up. Yeah, you're right about that. And, <laughs> and they, they have won't big ears. Show, they won't <laughs> shut up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 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 crazy after a while. Beagles are good family dogs, though. Oh, they are. I love them. I had them growing up. They're, they're cute when they're little. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, every every pup is typically cute, except for a Sharpe. <laughs> yeah. You know, Sharpe just looks like it's like the Pillsbury Doughboy just all over the place. Ball, yeah. That's why I spend hours looking at puppies and kitty videos. I mean, I could spend days looking at if them. If they would so stay funny. that age, you would, no problem. Oh, they're darling. If you, they're could darling. Get, if you could have the pups right after they finally got themselves house trained <laughs> and before they demanded your attention all the time, I'd be really well, happy with See, that's with why them. cats. Yeah, cats are house trained from the beginning, cats, and they don't ever demand Cats your... are the spawn of Satan. That's what you say. <laughs> well, well, cats, I think cats don't have a bad attitude about things, but, but dogs are highly destructive creatures. They chew on things. They destroy stuff. So you almost need to have a dog Only if they're not on. trained well. well Only if they're of, not who, trained who well. Has tra- who has time to train dogs? They don't even train their kids. Well, you don't want to get a dog if you and don't you get have what time, you have to, time train for. It. And, you, and you shouldn't do, you know, you shouldn't be rubbing bellies if you don't have time to raise your kid. Well, Just saying. That's the fact. Well, I'll tell you what. I was, I was knocking on doors one day for somebody, and I knocked on a door, and a lady came to the door with a little baby and there was a big doberman in there and that doberman <laughs> was tearing up he was looked like he was going to kill me and she told that doberman Go lie down. Sit down. To, to shush and he sat perfectly up still and laid his ears back and didn't say another word but well trained i mean he looked right at me and sat down <laughs> and i said you are not going to have any problem with that child i'm sure <laughs> i had one i had a a, do, a, uh, a rottweiler a male Rottweiler that if you went to the door, he would sit between you and the door. You betcha. And he would not say, he wouldn't bark, but they got those big chests. Yeah, he didn't could, have to you say You could anything. hear the, the growl <laughs> rumbling around in there, you know. And then if I went, Baron, go lie down. He knew it was cool. And he'd turn around and go back in what he was doing and lie back down. But yeah. he was really protective. Very good family dog. That's My kids want. loved him. And during the winter time, they hook. I hook up a sled to him. He'd pull them all over the yard, man. He, they love that. He, well, he loved those kids. He probably loved the kids more than I loved the kids. To be kind of honest with you, you know, sometimes when you're a parent, you're willing really to end their lives <laughs> on a moment's notice. Uh, not so with the dog. Dog unconditional. All right. So I want to take you back to 1994. That's when the assault weapons ban. To prevent another mass shooting, talking about Columbine back then, 
uh, was passed. So uh, what happened is after they panned it, let me just say, six years from 1999 to 2004, when the ban was lifted, uh, 52,214,932 background checks were conducted. For the first six years after the ban was uh, lifted, 205 to 210, 71 million plus background checks were conducted. If each background check represents one gun, 19 million more guns were purchased in the six years after the ban than during the last six years of the ban, which makes uh, intuitive sense. When guns are banned, fewer guns are sold. (laughs) When the ban is lifted, more guns are sold. But is it the number of guns we care about or what people are doing? with those guns. You compare the data on background checks, a reference point for gun sales to the FBI's data on what people were doing with those guns from 1997 to 2001 and 2002 to 2006 and 2007, 2011. While you're at it, you look at what the FBI says people were doing with rifles specifically since they're, these were the principal target of the ban. The FBI says that during the last six years of the ban, firearms were used to kill 54,468 people, 2,483 of whom were killed with a rifle. During the first six years after the ban, with 19 million more guns on the street, the FBI says firearms were used to kill 58,065 people, 2,432 of whom were killed with a rifle by the way that's less people killed by a rifle uh after the after the ban was lifted uh and uh with four thousand more killings so it was all handguns what more people were killed with a rifle during the ban than after the ban (laughs) could it be the assault ban made no difference to homicide by rifle why yes yes it could (laughs) And with 19 million more guns on the street after the ban, there were only 3,597 additional firearms homicides. Could it be that limiting guns had very little impact on limiting total firearms homicides? Why, yes, yes, it could. You realize that during the last six years of the ban, There was one gun murder for every 959 guns, whereas during the first six years after the ban, there was one gun murder for every 1,228 guns. Well, you're right to wonder if there were more guns but fewer firearms homicides per gun, what was everyone doing with all those extra guns? They certainly weren't using them to to murder more people. Could this help to explain the steady drop in violent crime rates that has continued since 2004? Could it be that people are using those extra guns to defend themselves and to deter and prevent all kinds of violent crime? Yes. Yes, it could. Now go tell your mother, especially if she looks like Diane Feinstein. <laughs> oh, uh, burn. Bottom line. The truth is irrelevant in politics. Yeah, well, it's irrelevant yeah. to the left. Right, and, and, and so exactly we've got people right. that are wanting to ban with so-called assault weapons, and at the end of the day, hardly anybody's killed with assault weapons in America. Almost nobody at all. Well, you, you, nobody 2,000 has, out of 58,000. 
if, unless you're a rich person, most of us don't own an assault rifle. Well, and, and, and like and well, an I assault think a, rifle has, you know, a hot trigger. Oh, right. Well, well and, some and, decides and, and, and some people call refer to a standard AR-15 as an assault rifle. But even even an, even an AR-15, almost <laughs> nobody gets killed with those things. I think it may be probably less than a hundred a year on average, and, and you're a lot more likely to get struck by lightning or killed in a car accident or. Let me tell you a really by your interesting. Doctor. Let me give you yeah. Well, let me give you a real interesting <laughs> statistic. Eleven people are killed or hurt daily in their cars while texting. Half of those are by people that are under mm-hmm. twenty-one years of age. So we need to ban smartphones and cars. Now, you should not be if you're a <laughs> if you're a young person. You should not be able to own a smartphone until you're twenty-one. Maybe have background checks required. That you would know? save more lives than what they're talking about right now. Well, that's save, what they say it lives. would. I don't think it would, but they're saying that it would. And the bottom line is it is not the device that laws. is doing it. It is the people who are using device. And laws won't change. It's what yeah. you're saying. Another law that's, will not make any difference no, in either it, one I of mean, them. When, when there's a car wreck, <clears throat> Paul, I, re, I know that you call me ever so often when there's a massive you know, wreck on the highway. And you keep telling me we should ban cars because of <laughs> yeah, all right. those big wrecks where people have died. No, no. I'm, I'm being facetious. <laughs> right, the bottom line, bottom line is we don't. No, we don't find fault with the car. Right. We find fault with the people who are driving. Right, the car. and we accept the risks of driving cars. All of us know that it's dangerous to drive a car. We we all know that we could die well, on our way home. Some uh-huh. people don't. Well, maybe not. <laughs> but but at the end of the day, I, I'm willing to accept the risk. You know, the fact is, that there's about I think it's about thirty thousand people a year die in car accidents. Now, if we want, we could save probably twenty five or maybe thirty thousand deaths a year, lives a year, if you will. If we reduce the speed limits to 25 miles per hour, I don't suggest we do that, but I'm just saying that would be a whole lot more effective at saving innocent lives than some of these gun, these gun rights infringements that may not save any lives at all, but they will take away liberty and justice. Well, I would say that if you're going to say, you know, how many people are killed by firearms every year, first thing I want is to have somebody clarify the deaths by firearm. Are these deaths suicides? Are Most people of them killing, are. killing themselves? Most of them are. You Most know, of them are. are they uh, accidental killings, which happen? But they do happen. And not. how many of them were killings done in self-defense? I bet you if you took those three things, you'd get rid of about 90% of uh, the shootings. So if it's like, how many people die a year now? Do we know how many I people think it's die? A, I think it's about 30,000 a okay, year. So, it's pretty close to the same as car accidents, but so, most of those are suicides. I think 60 or so percent of those are suicides. So let's just take all of the other stuff we just talked about away, and you're down to like 3,000. Yeah, I, I think it's a little higher than that. But but at the end of the day, though, you still have – the fact is that suicide is, is nearly twice as likely to end a life with guns than um, murder. Uh, and so we're talking about it's against the law to do that you know suicide you know what clearly we should make it a death penalty offense Uh, yeah yeah yeah. but um let's make another law about right no at at the end of the day do we value liberty or do we value um some sense of security that we think we're going to gain by taking away people's rights i I think so many times we're willing to give up liberty as a as a um as a way to to make ourselves feel better. All right. And, and many times we don't get, we don't get Got an article. All right. You ready? Gun Go violence in the United States results in tens of thousands of deaths and injuries annually. In 2013, 
There were 73,505 non-fatal firearm injuries. That's 23.2 injuries per 100,000 U.S. citizens. 33,636 deaths due to injury by firearms. That's 10.6 deaths per 100,000 U.S. citizens. These deaths uh, consisted of 11,208 homicides, 21,175 suicides, 505 deaths due to accidental or negligent discharge of a firearm, and 281 deaths due to firearms use with undetermined intent. Of the uh, uh, of the uh, twenty, it just jumped on me. Um, he says, "Consider the house of the two million five hundred ninety-six thousand nine hundred ninety-three total deaths in the U.S. in 2013. One point three percent were related to firearms." The ownership and control of guns are among the most widely debated issues in the country. Uh, in 2010, 67% of all homicides in the U.S. were committed using a firearm. 2012, there were 8,855 total firearm-related homicides in the U.S., with 6,000 of those plus uh, attributed to handguns. In 2012, 64% of all gun-related deaths in the U.S. were suicides. In 2010, there were 19,392 Firearm-related suicides, 11,078 firearm-related homicides. 2010, 358 murders were reported involving a rifle, while 6,009 were reported involving a handgun. Another 1,939 were reported with an unspecified type of firearm. So what I'm saying is that, let's look at this one more time, of the 2 million 596,993 total deaths in the USA in 2013. 1.3 were related to firearms. 1.3%. All right. Quit stressing out about guns. Right. And it's nothing to stress and, out and, about. And or, only about a third of those, or less than a third of those, were actually intentional. Yeah. Were actually I mean, intentional upon someone else. Yeah. So, you take 60, uh, that 1.3% take 60% away of suicides. Yeah. You know? Right. right. And, so and, now and, you're below 1%. Right. And, and then the other yeah. number was homicides. I think that can actually include um, justifiable homicides. So that you, you probably still have some people there that were actually shooting people in self-defense. And so there's the, so we probably do need to pare the number down even further. Yeah. Bottom line, you know, I understand nobody wants to lose a child. The last thing any parent wants to happen is for a child to die before they do. I cannot imagine any of my kids passing before I do. Uh, but the bottom line is you don't make laws that will have no effect. And we can, the laws that people are talking about right now, 21 years of age or over and things of that nature will have, the, the significant impact of that is no, no specificity at all. There's none there. It's not going to make a, a, a hill's mound of beans, as they would say. If you want, you know, as Bruce said, make it, make the targets harder. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Gun-free Bruce, zones. 
it sounds like Bruce is spending some time on looking at some things yep. that will give honest results. And that's what we need to look at doing token things that look good on paper that takes people's rights away from them. Do not make children safer. The only way to make children safer is to take away the soft targets. All right. We will come back. We're going to talk more about this. Don't forget about Safari Pets. They're going to be on with me from 5 to 6 on Friday. They'll bring all their knowledge into the studio. I don't know what kind of animals they're going to bring with them. They'll be bringing one or two at least. You'll be able to see them because we do Facebook Live now. Uh, If you didn't know that, now you do. Just go to Facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show, and you can watch the show as well as you listen to it. Their number is 501-628-0067 at Safari Pets. They got everything you'll need for taking care of your pet or pets. And don't forget, April 14th is the big annual anniversary sale with lots and lots and lots of sales and discounts. That's at Safari Pets in Cabot. All right, let's uh, finish up this hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, We were just notified that uh, State Senator Alan Clark will join us in the 4 o'clock hour. He'll come sit down in the studio with us. Uh, Let me remind you again that every day now of the Dave Ellswick Show is on Facebook Live. And if you go to uh, facebook.com slash uh, forward slash, is it forward or backward slash? Do you know? It's a forward slash. It's a forward slash. All right. Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, you can tune in and uh, and watch what's going on in the studio. See the people that are on the air when they are here in the studio. If they're not in the studio, we typically have pictures of them that we throw up so that you can see uh, what they look like. And that's what we did with Dr. Everett Piper. In the future, we're working on uh, getting it set up so that we uh, uh, can get them on by phone. And, uh, and and throw them onto the screen as uh, as well. So uh, we're working through to all of that. So you'll be able to watch them, and we'll be able to even watch them while we're talking <laughs> to them, which I'm all excited about as well. We're moving ahead here on the Dave Ellswick Show with technology and doing everything we can to make the show more interesting for you. Uh, with with uh, Senator Clark, I wanted to talk to him about the uh, article that was on the B section just below the fold today in the dim gas. Uh, R.D., read the headline there for us. Suit alleges rights violation in DHS custody cases. Now, make sure you read the whole article. I'm just <laughs> saying there's some stuff that they don't tell you until you get to the end that you should have known at the very beginning of the article. Hey, they quite often do that when you're reading different things. Uh, they'll put what sounds good up front, but then they put the numbers and everything in the back. So. Yeah, all the salacious stuff they put up in the front. Well, some, right. sometimes sometimes headlines can be a little bit deceptive, sort of like some of the can be deceiving or something. Right, sort of like someone says that that well, traffic fatalities have doubled doubled with a, a under a certain cir- set of circumstances. When you look at it, you know there was only one last year, and now and there's so, two. Now there's two, and so the, <laughs> the so the the doubling doesn't really indicate a whole lot of issues and I, I think you'll see that somewhat with the marijuana issues and some of the other things that you'll see around the country right well the, what i was thinking of was an article that said the the state is working on work requirements on the front headlines and you read the first page and it sounds like that everybody's going to have to get to the job hmm. but when you get in the back of the article and you find out the 10 groups that don't have to worry about it so you think it, it almost it, negates everything that you read in the first paragraph 
two of you will have to get jobs. Yeah, we're down to the uh, the final minute here of this hour. By the way, I wanted to bring my atten- my the attention of my grandson who's here. He's been shadowing me today, seeing what granddad does for his school, and he's got to write a report about it. That's cool. I, I feel sorry that you got to write a report about me. Uh, <laughs> let me read it first so I take all the, the, the nasty language out of it. But, he, but he's but, asking uh, great questions. <laughs> yeah, he's a good kid. He knows he's smart. Here's the bottom line. Remember, we looked at the numbers of Wall Street, and it was down 50 points, and I, say, I told you it was going to end flat today it's plus nine right now it's pretty flat and it just it just closed yeah that's pretty flat. So bottom line is closed i got to get out of the way here's fox news and then we'll be back with senator alan clark four o'clock well six minutes after and uh alan clark state senator uh will be joining us here on the dave ellswick show i uh, want to talk to him about this dhs lawsuit because uh, if there's been one person who spent an inordinate amount of time dealing with DHS and the problems that DHS has had, uh, Alan Clark is that man. In fact, here he is. He has walked into the studio. Good to have him. We're going to put you right there in the middle, State Senator. How are you? Last time I saw you, you were coming back from Long Beach. Uh, from Long Beach and you from Washington? D.C., yeah. <laughs> I was at, on a very long, uh, I'm going to get into how much I was ticked off at Southwest that day. <laughs> My plane broke down on the tarmac, <clears throat> leaving Reagan Airport. They ran us to a taxi and drove us to Baltimore. We got on the plane. They did not put our bags on the plane, mm. we found out later. We flew from Baltimore to Nashville, from Nashville to Dallas, and I waved at Little Rock as I went by. <laughs> they didn't give you a parachute. Huh? And then I, yeah, then I got back on, I sat on the plane for 20 minutes while we waited for the state senator to get on. Mm. He got on and about 40 other people, and then we flew to Little Rock. Then I got to Little Rock and my bag wasn't there. Didn't get it till the next day. Mm. It was one of my worst travel experiences ever with Southwest, to be honest. They they took like 12 or 14 years of travel and any problems you could have and put them all together in one day. <laughs> it was crazy. It yeah. was absolutely crazy. At least you got home the same day. Huh? Yeah. Well, so uh, Senator Alan Clark, what happened today over at the, uh, the Capitol? Anything Worth it's, anything it's, worth rep- it, reporting it, today? Did something happen? Yeah, did something happen at all? Uh, we passed the um, DHS budget in the Senate today. Okay. You go to the House next. Go to the House next. All right. So that means that's uh, is, is that the Medicaid expansion then? The Medicaid expansion is in that budget. Yes. So it got through. It got through the Senate then. It did. Okay. With room to spare or just eke through? It just eke through, and I was the 27th vote. Oh, you got it. You helped it through. I did. All right. Now, I know why you did this, all right, because I've talked to you about it. So why don't you tell the listeners why you made the decision you made, and and then I'll, I'm will i going to take the, the choker collar off of R.D. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I let him ask questions. Go ahead. I did not know 
uh, until I was on the floor today. Uh, in fact, if you'd asked me last night, I would have was definitely leaning no. But I woke up, I don't know, late December, early January, and realized that uh, those who support the Medicaid expansion were two votes short uh, with Central Williams and Central Standridge uh, not there, uh, which is good news. Right. Uh, because I would like to stop the program and uh, or at least modify it a great deal. Uh, it, it's a lot of bad policy. I mean, you can, as I said today on the Senate floor uh, and yesterday speaking to some people, there's no one in that chamber who would not like to help people uh, who truly need help. Uh, and there's no one there who wants to bankrupt this, bankrupt this country. Uh, but the choices, uh, the program has been um, has been a continuing sore spot, and a number of things. You know, as I as I looked at this, uh, five years, uh, 2013, each year since I have been a leader in trying to stop it. Uh, we've been ex- unsuccessful every time, and and so I look forward. You know, in chess, you don't just play one move right or checkers for that matter you don't play one move even take tech toe you don't just play one move if you want to win and i look forward and you know what's the outcome you know what changes could i get uh or can we stop it and the answer to could we stop it depended on the special elections uh because the fact is that we were uh i had two special elections going on and another one that would occur much later it was the two coming up close uh and actually uh you know in the beginning uh, it appeared that whoever replaced Eddie Joe Williams, and of course it's not really proper for me to speak for them, but I'm pretty transparent, that whichever one of them won would support the budget, and that if uh, Brianne Davis won in Russellville, that she would support the budget. And of course, she was supposed to win, from what I'd heard, easily. So they would have their two votes. Uh, between you and I? An election is never easy. You know that for well, a fact. Well, I was, I was at, you know, I spoke at Bob Bailey's uh, campaign rally last night. And, how how uh, was it? Very good. A lot uh, of people there? Yes, and uh, they will, uh, they've will. they got a great grassroots movement. You never know uh, how it's going to go, but I'm very encouraged, and I, I think he would do a fine job. Nothing against Breanne. I'm sure she uh, is a fine person, but I, I know that Bob will be an independent thinker. Okay. And uh, that he... Uh, that he'll make his own decisions. And, again, I'm not saying she won't. I just I know those who truly <laughs> don't want Bob and do want her, and they don't necessarily think she'll be an independent thinker. Uh, so, anyway, so if it had come down to two votes, uh, because they already had the one, uh, and as of last night, they had the votes. Uh, and And so I said, great. You know that that leaves me out of this, the uh, because once they win these elections, what would they would have to do is just simply not pass the budget, and come back in June, and in the meantime, and I'm fine with you know I've been fighting the battle and I'll continue to fight the battle, but I I fight to win, and you know I've got to where, you know I can't watch the news every day. And I'm a pretty emotionally tough guy, and I just can't watch the news every day. When I do, I watch both Fox and CNN, and it's like two different worlds. And it's just so divisive and upsetting. And that's an understatement. And, and I know it's not all. And I know that it's not all real. I mean, I'm not saying it's not real, but it's not as bad as as they want to make it sound. And what we would have done for two months here is we would have 
A lot of people would have said that DHS was going to shut down. And I would have known better, and you would have known better. But a lot of these disabled people and, and, and so on, they don't know better. They truly, I mean, and they intentionally worry them. And that's not my, it's not my problem overall. But when we're not going to have a different outcome come June, and we're going to pay for another session. Which again, runs typically how much? I don't know, but it's not cheap. Okay. And again, and, I, and I'm not against, if there's a purpose, you know, have 10 sessions a year, but not if there's no pur- purpose. Please don't. Uh, so, so, you're, so, <laughs> so bottom line is your reasoning was that it's going to pass, and this was to help to avoid a special session. Yes, there was no need to. Now, ha- having said that, it made it easier, uh, the work requirement. Uh, and let me tell you, it's not nearly as tough as I'd like to see it. It's the toughest in the country. Uh, and I have to, uh, I have to, and want to compliment both the Hutchinson administration and the Trump administration, because they're really, I mean, government government is so far from perfect, but it is a true good step. Uh, they've already heard from me all the things. I mean, you know, we've got people that say, well, you shouldn't require people to work eighty hours or volunteer 80 hours a month. And I work 80 hours a week. Why would I not? <laughs> I don't think asking somebody 80 hours is asking too much. And again, and we're, we're talking healthy people, even people without depend. I mean, so these uh, are people that, that make above the poverty line. These are people who show no income or, or at least come below that level. But a lot of them show absolutely no income that have no dependents at home are healthy and below 50 years old. And those mm-hmm. people, obviously, we, we're not helping them. I mean, I agree, we're hurting them when we are teaching them. Uh, and not just them. The, I hear so much from the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings, partly because my kids are that age. Uh, and, but a lot of constituents who are 20-something and 30-something, and they are angry that they're working so hard like we did. They're working so hard and doing all the right things, and they have friends that are making fun of them. For doing all the right things, because they said if you just didn't work as many hours, if you didn't you do free, all that, you, you would you'd get all this free stuff. And it's just terrible policy that we're setting for this nation and setting for our future. So, so the work requirement is a good first step, but not near enough. But it does help. Uh, it, it it did help. The other thing I looked at is, man, I've been fighting this battle since 2013. There's two, three dozen government programs minimum that I don't agree with. And I'm not voting against the budget to try to kill those programs. Uh, and so I can I can give people a pass coming into the legisla- legislature new. You know, this program's here. It's been here five years. Why why would I – and I appreciate those who stand against it, but I can understand why somebody who's just as conservative as I am would, would come in and uh, not take that same stand. But I still – you know, I am hopeful uh, that we will have the votes next year. Uh, to come back, and I don't want to. I don't want to come to a place that we have a binary choice again, and we just have to vote to kill the program. I mean, I didn't want to start the program, but I don't think the correct thing once you have the program is just to put the brakes on, and all of a sudden nobody has any insurance. If you just cap enrollment within two years, seventy percent of the people that are on it will no longer be on it, uh, and that's a much more viable solution. Plus, we do need. We always needed to find those people who are truly needy. And truly can't pay for health care, both those that are that are in poverty and those that we don't call in poverty that are working. I mean, that uh, 
Linda Collins Smith talked about that today. Gary Stubblefield talked about that on the floor today. We forget those people. We forget those people that are working two jobs that are doing everything they can and don't have health insurance or, or, or it's taking a third of their budget. It's just, in, it's insane. Uh, so, and so I, I've got some sympathy toward that on some level because government has, has inter, intervened so much in the um, medical system that it's, it's, it's cost prohibitive to buy your own health care, not just insurance, but just your own health care. I mean, I have, a, I have a buddy that cut his finger pretty good the other day. Instead of going to the doctor, I helped him fix it up. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, didn't have painkillers. I used a toothbrush to clean it out. It was painful. It hurt yeah. when, he, when I was cleaning it up. But he didn't have a whole lot of money. But he couldn't go for free. He, well, I don't know if he could have or not, but he, he wouldn't. No. And, he, um, if, he, if, he, if he doesn't have that, that Medicaid insurance with no deductibles, he yeah. couldn't go for free. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he could have walked in and just walked out and not paid it or not, but he didn't. And so I helped him out. But the thing is, if I had charged him $2, I could have gone to jail for that perhaps. But, but we don't have a system in place that allows people to have any kind of a free market in this medical system. And so he had the option of going to the ER perhaps and maybe spending getting a, a bill for $1,000. Oh, yeah, well, I bet you can't walk in the yard for a thousand dollars. Maybe I'm behind with, the times on that. But we've got less free market in the state of Arkansas than any state in the United States of America. Blue Cross and Blue Shield owns this state. They write the policy. They decide what they're going to pay for most of the time and what they're not going to pay for. Uh, I talk to the nurses and the RNs and the nurse practitioners that deal with the law when it comes down and tries to get people the care they need. They said that Blue Cross and Blue Shield has very much influence in deciding what health care people need. There has been studies out saying that the health care in Arkansas and the health of the people since this has passed is worth one of the less healthy uh, states in the, in the country right now. The health is not good, so we're spending $2 billion a year of federal taxpayers' money. The money. only state in the, in the United States of America that the Blue Cross and Blue Shield stands in between the taxpayer and the people getting the care and writing very much of the policy of who gets what in the middle. And then you've got the situation that they're getting squeezed and Blue Cross and Blue Shield is not making as much money as they thought they were going to make. They're getting squeezed. I almost feel bad about it. We're getting raped so bad. I thought that maybe somebody's making some money off this deal. (laughs) Blue Cross and Blue Shield's not even making money off of it. So they go and squeeze the local pharmacies to try to recoup some of the money that they're not making. Then they start squeezing the pharmacies, and that's because – this system doesn't work. Yeah, you and, get on the pharmacies to get my blood pressure up. So, so the pharmacies are getting squeezed because there's not enough of somebody else's money to go around. So they start squeezing the problem. That so luckily, you know, I've almost got my business paid for, and I spend seventy four percent. I spend thousands of dollars. I think it's seventy four thousand dollars a year for fifteen employees in insurance it's up 74 percent in the last four years thank goodness my business is almost paid for and i will have the decision that if i can leave this state in the next four or five years and go somewhere else where you have the more freedom and more opportunity to make money than the state of arkansas this state senator hopes you don't (laughs) uh you're not the only one uh to uh, to say that and that's what people don't realize you can't run off capital you can't uh, you, you can't make, you know, you can try to help people, but if you make your rules too grievous, the people who would be helping them go elsewhere. The, um, you know, 
on the pharmacist, uh, you know, that just, you know, one of the clear-cut issues, because here we won, and I'm not going to, I'll let y'all demonize Blue Cross. I won't do that. But uh, I'm sure they do lots of good. But because we came out with a different way, private insurance, of taking care of the Medicaid population, and the deal was, Again, and and we truly thought, the architects of this truly thought we'd be able to do it through private insurance cheaper than Medicaid could. We, we're like Fonzie, though. Didn't, didn't happen, but it's... We're like Fonzie. We can't say I'm, I was wrong, wrong. That's right. <laughs> because we're paying, best I can tell, 40 to 70% more than Medicaid numbers for, for insurance. And so I can't cry for the insurance companies who are getting – maybe it's costing them more, but they're still in their lobby and wanting to keep it. So I so, can't – So where's this money going to? Is it going to accountants and, and just bureaucrats, or what's the deal? I, I don't know. But I do know that that's one of the changes. It, it's not fair to the taxpayer for us in this state to, to have a plan that's costing 70% more per person than what it would in Kentucky or, or, or name some other state. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, we got to get uh, our commercials in before we get to Fox News. So we're going to do that. Well, I'm talking about that. Uh, state Senator Alan Clark will be with us until 5. 5 o'clock, the Bible guys come on. So we got a couple more hours to go. Stick around. We got some things that we'll definitely want to talk about. I want to talk to RD for a moment. He is the uh, owner of Sonny's Auto Salvage. And just a few moments ago, 45 minutes maybe he and i had walked down to get a cup of coffee get back here to do the show for uh, another couple hours and i asked him i said hey how much uh, to put a transmission in my 2010 acadia because i can tell there's some problems and he said he would look and i told him what it cost me for a one-year parts and labor twelve thousand mile warranty and he kind of said i could hear it in his voice like you're kidding me you know, kind of thing. So I told him, start looking and see what he could find. He did a transmission on my other car, saved me 700 bucks. I got a three year, uh, you know, parts and labor and unlimited mileage uh, warranty on it. And, uh, I'm loving it. And I'll tell you what, putting in that transmission and getting a three year warranty like that on it is a lot cheaper than going out and buying a new car RD. And, uh, you know, you guys do a, a fair and a, and a very professional job. Well, I love what I do because what I get to do is is take a wrecked car and uh, that was working good every day and take parts off of it and save people money and allow people to fix their cars that can't afford to buy a new one. So we're in the business of helping people. I can't buy a new one already. <laughs> All right, right. Well, you fit in that category. We're, we're in the we're in the business of helping people that can't afford a new car. And we offer three-year unlimited mileage on it. So you feel confident that if you spend that money, that you're going to get the service out of your car that you need is going to get you back and forth to work. So, you know, I've got a great job. I I get to take a a byproduct of society, recycle it, and help people get back and forth to work in a way that they can afford. And make a living off of it. And make a living off of it. It's capitalism. I can define capitalism. A lot of politicians can't define it, but I know how to define it. Well, if you really want to help talk to somebody who can't define it, talk to former Senator Blanche Lincoln. Blanche Lincoln. Because I watched her on my show like a deer in the headlights when I asked her to tell me what was capitalism, and she couldn't do it. And just well, tell you, so we are not it. government subsidized at Sunny's Auto Salvage. We work hard to save you money, 
and uh, give you the best warranty available and 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 uh and make a good living for our employees and pay taxes and help support the state of arkansas this is a guy you know a lot of people don't know he's got the mechanics and everybody that can install everything we've been talking about what's the phone number for people to call oh 501-982-7451 or 1-800-482-9985 there you go that's sunny's auto salvage number one choice for recycled auto parts know that i use them so should you all right we continue we got a half hour left with uh, state senator alan clark he's in studio uh if you've always been wondering what he looks like this is your opportunity we're on facebook live as we always do every day now so go to uh, facebook.com slash dave ellswick show and you can watch it we got 4k uh uh cameras in here and i'm just telling you all right Artie, you might want to look work on that wrinkle around your eye. <laughs> Is that right? Let like me turn around and get my good side <laughs> facing the camera. <laughs> I, I like it better when it's just radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a little bit of everything. So anyway, I I want to ask the state senator this. It, it there's a lot of states that are doing different things and unique things. And Idaho, I believe, is one of them that's doing some unique stuff. Uh, the governor there told their insurance commissioner alan kerr you know ours to work with the insurance groups in the state to offer lower cost insurance maybe not aca approved but they would get the insurance cleared and they've been able to reduce the cost of insurance exponentially i mean hugely i mean you can actually just sell a catastrophic policy to a young person or whatever kind of like what i have would do you think the governor would take something like that and might run with it you know dave i hope so uh the uh, i have confidence that we have the governor and others really want to do the right thing and you know i've been so busy with the new child welfare legislative oversight committee and the water task force and other things uh that i really was that had not heard about the Idaho thing till this past week. And uh, Senator Stubblefield uh, was in a meeting where he asked some questions about it. Uh, oh, cool. And, so uh, people are thinking about Senator it. Senator Raper. Yeah, we, were at, we actually were fortunate to be in a meeting with Administrator, uh, uh, I don't know what her name was, but she came down to announce the uh, that we had gotten the waiver. To work. So we were talking to her about, and, uh, and Idaho came up a couple of times. And that's one of the... Uh, and for policy folks, one of the negatives about doing things federally is you take out, you take away the ability to, for the to have all the states come up with the, with the very best ideas that they can come up with. Fifty laboratories. And, and so, I mean, you can look back and compliment the people who came up with with the private option, even though I disagreed with it, and then come back and say, okay, but that didn't work as well as we hoped it would. And then go Not over and say, close. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you, but in business, you know, you try some they things. They were creative. You, you, try you can't some, ever penalize for somebody being creative and trying something different. The only difference in business, like me you and you in business, if it comes up and costs 40 to 70% more than what we were doing you before, stop. we stop it. We, or we change it drastically. You but you can't, pen, you can't, you can't go against somebody <laughs> trying something new. I agree with and you that's one of the, And that was one of the wonderful things about talking to the Trump administration yesterday. They are... And why I just turn CNN and Fox even off, because the really positive things that are happening and the really positive things happening in that administration are just lost in all the screaming and shouting. 
and they are very much friendly toward free enterprise and toward and toward the things like are happening in Idaho and and so on. And I, I'm very interested in what's happening there and anywhere that somebody's doing something better than what we're doing. It. Yeah. I I still have a policy from pre Obamacare, and I I think I it's still gone up some, and I, but I think it's still just about a thousand dollars a year for for a catastrophic policy. A thousand dollars a year. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. But, but why can't other people buy something like that? What ama- what amazes me, and this is good news. You know, a lot of times I get amazed in a bad way. But what amazes me <laughs> is that they left. Uh, Jan and I used to be uh, part of. I can't remember Christian something like a MediShare type. One thing. of the MediShare type things, and <clears throat> and we loved that because. We're healthy people. We don't get sick very often and been very blessed in our health, and I think we'll continue to be. But we knew that money was going to help somebody else every month. And it amazed me that with all the bad things in Obamacare that they left that alone. We only left that, actually, R.D., because we didn't uh, – our employees and our, and our small business, we did not have enough back then to have health insurance except Jana and I go in at a much higher cost than what we were paying so that they would have health insurance. And that's one of the things that's gripped me about this argument for over a decade, maybe two, is they'd come on TV and say, well, but small businesses aren't insuring people. And, like, you know, I was, yeah, with, wrong. I was with Ace Hardware, and we could buy, you know, people think of Ace for service and not price, but we could buy as well as Home Depot could, as well as Lowe's could, et cetera, except for one thing, health insurance. Because you can't buy it across state lines. And so you, mm-hmm. here you had 5,000 dealers, but you couldn't buy it together. Mm-hmm. And I know because I would have employees or potential employees come from Home Depot or Lowe's or even the Garland County or the City of Hot Springs, and I, I'm an inquisitive guy. They would ask about my health insurance, and I would ask, what do you pay and what's the deal? And so I knew we were paying 30 to 40% more just because we were small business, and then they'd come back and point their fingers at us and say, well, small business and insurance people. Well, you made it impossible to insure people. So, uh, well, again, I hope in this administration, I hope we make lots of progress because there's so many things that have been done wrong or undone for decades that causes these, what did you say, 74% in four yeah, years? Yeah, mine's up 74% in four years. And then and then this PBM thing, that was just, I mean, you're talking about raising your blood pressure. That And, and I know this, it wasn't all this way, but I don't care, just one is bad enough, you know, that that somebody is collecting $138 and then paying the pharmacist $18 and his cost is uh, 85. Yeah. And, and you're like, that's socialism and, 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 and at you, its best. And, and yet, well, no, that's, that's big business. Tyranny G- is, government what, right? <laughs> <Fascism>? <laughs> is what that is. <laughs> and the, and with no recourse. Uh, and then you've got these small towns, you know, Sheridan's just outside my district, but you have Sheridan and Malvern, which is the heart of my district. And who need these local pharmacies? I mean, you need some place, and you need people need to go. And we're just squeezing them out. We're just putting them out of business. And we're and of course, that's not the only place we're doing that to small business. But we there, that is one place we can do something about it because it's it is absolute tyranny. It absolutely has to stop. So what kind of what are you expecting? Real right, quick, right. and then what are you expecting in the special session? You know, it would seem to me that the the big boys are going to pull out the guns on this and. They're not worried about the small pharmacies. If it gets on the call, and I think it will, uh, the votes are there. Okay, good. 
So I'm glad to hear that. And you know, there was some concern that that they that there are people that would come back and try to scuttle it. Uh, I have heard assurances uh, as late as last night that that will not happen. So if not, if it does, we will we will have our next royal. There will fire, be a royal fire. rumble. It, it won't it won't <laughs> stop. I mean, that and the hog farm, I think, are two of the most unconscionable things. And when I say the hog farm, it's not the hog farm's existence. It is that a small business depended on the state of Arkansas regulations and did would have stood on their head if you've met these people, stood on their head and counted to a thousand if you asked them to, and they did everything they were supposed to, invested all this money, and then we come back and don't stand by them. And beyond that, not only do we not stand by them, we're telling everybody on hundreds of square miles that grew up on if you know what if you if you have family that's been in your property and a place that's meant something to you for two, three, four generations, and then told you can't make a living. That's just insane. And that's what the extremists, the extremists, they come back and, and talk about the buffalo. For them, it, it, you know, they don't want us, they don't want us, you know, being around any stream. My, you know, our cows that are on our creek on our property will be a problem too. You just, you just wait and see. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say you two are making the comments about uh, why the pharmacies are getting squeezed and why so many changes. The problem is with Obamacare right now is you're running out of somebody else's money to pay for it. <laughs> Barack Obama cut the subsidies to subsidize the insurance company, cut it. And Arkansas is the only state, as I said, as I told you, that pays the 40 to 70% more to have the Blue Cross and Blue Shield in between the taxpayer and the person that gets the care. So we're the only ones that's paying that 40 or 70% more because somebody was creative. But if you have these policies to where that you can't inflate my insurance and you can't inflate my neighbor's insurance, you don't have any way to pay for the free insurance for the people that are getting for free. So the reason we pay 74% more in Arkansas is because we still have to have people that we provide free insurance to, so we still have to have a way to get somebody else's money to pay for the people that we're providing it for. But but let's go back to and talk about, because it's so easy just to be on one side of an argument. But one of the reasons that people and fellow legislators were on the other side of this Medicaid expansion argument was one of the terrible things that Obamacare did is it acted like rural states, red states, that if you lived out in the you lived out in the country, you didn't matter. And so our reimbursement rates to hospitals, what we did there, and so one of the reasons that we've had this this huge fight is that we truly would have caused hospitals to close. And so. And one of the reasons, and part of the dirty secret on this insurance, is that we're is that we're subsidizing our hospitals uh, at, at at insurance rates versus Medicaid rates. One of the other things, of course, <laughs> is we're taxing that insurance. So so you're getting you got that right. So we're you're taxing double, double dipping. Yeah, yeah, we're double dipping, and we, and that was part of the plan. So so we're getting forty to sixty million. I don't remember the exact numbers into our state budget. And of course, and if we stop the insurance. Then all of a sudden we've got forty, sixty million that we got to figure out: Are we going to take it out of highways? We're going to take it out? Education? Take it out of DHS. So, They've raised it one hundred twenty-five million a year. So as most things with our government, the argument's not as clean. As, but but when you come down to it, big government is the problem. Right. Uh, we, we, you you mess up the system with with bad policy, and you keep adding more bad policy. And at some point, it's like, where do we? fix this because there's so many problems but no it's it's how much bad more bad policy can we get approved? yeah 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 we, we always fix we 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 fix bad policy bad government policy with more bad government yeah, policy. That's exactly sort, sort right of like, sort of like you get get on one medication to, to fix a 
uh, some little problem, and you just keep getting but, more medication. But uh, although I've always voted the other way, this thing about rural hospitals is real. Uh, that is the one of the good things that's come out of it is we've kept those hospitals open where we might not have. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Senator Alan Clark is with us. Why don't you introduce everybody to the lady who's standing in the corner? Because they probably think that's a mannequin that I have here in my studio. Uh, if they if they can see her, and I assume they can. Well, they, they can when yeah. well, we, well, we got to switch the cameras. Yeah, this is my wife, Jana. Without her, there she is. Uh, <laughs> I could not I could not serve the seventy eighty hours a week that I put in. I mean, she does all the things that men traditionally do, and, and Jan, I'm being sexist, but uh, like mow, I'm being honest, okay, like mowing the yard and getting the vehicle serviced and all those things. If she didn't take care of those things, uh, all the things that people are so thankful that we do wouldn't get done. You'd be sitting on the side of the road. And if she was not fully supported because this is, uh, this is, uh, uh, this is a job that if your spouse is not uh, fully supportive, you just could not do. All right. A break, then we'll come back for more here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. But don't forget Lewis Family Beef. We want to talk about local businesses here in the state. This is a great one. They're out in Greenbrier. They have their ranch there. They raise their cattle there. They're born there. They're raised on that ranch. Uh, they don't inject antibiotics into them unless they absolutely have to. And then if they do, uh, they take them out of the uh, the buy. Uh, category and you can't buy that cow uh, to consume it they also don't fill up their cattle with hormones clean beef for your family free delivery anywhere in central arkansas they sell a quarter a half or a whole cow to you the packing house gives you a call sets up how you want it all cut i mean do you want a four inch steak or do you want a one and a half inch steak uh, they'll, t- they'll, t- they'll figure it out for you and then uh, when it's all f- packed up and wrapped They'll call Lewis Family Beef, and they'll deliver it right to your home absolutely free. Uh, You give Cody or Sarah a call at 501-514-1494. That's 501-514-1494. Or visit their Facebook. They have pictures there. They'll answer any questions that you have. Facebook.com, Lewis Family Beef. And like I've said many a time, I've eaten their beef. I've eaten their hamburger, their steaks. Their, uh, you know, their rump roast. I've had all of that. I can tell you this, their beef hands down beats anything you buy at a big box store. You won't believe the beef tastes that good. We'll be back with more in a moment. All right. We've got, uh, oh, about six minutes left of this hour. The Bible guys are in the wings. They'll be ready to join us, uh, after the five o'clock news. And they'll be here to answer any questions that you might have if you can't you know, call because you're at work or whatever, uh, you can email us uh, at uh, BibleGuys at SalemLR.com. That will come directly to me, and I'll have uh, your email uh, right in front of me to ask, you know, Scott and uh, and Steve. Uh, the state senator is with us. State senator, of course, is Alan Clark. And uh, Alan... Uh, I mean, how long do you think it's going to take to do this special session? Are you feeling good about it? I don't have any feelings about it. I, <laughs> you know, I had one thing that I wanted to take up there that got shot down, and I think very incorrectly so. Uh, but uh, I, I think we'll be there three days. I, uh, best guess is next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe Friday. And uh, uh, got a 
some very important issues like the uh, the pharmacist. Uh, I would have very much liked to have had the uh, uh, school choice. Uh, I think it's important that we deal honestly with people. And in, we barely got the public school choice bill passed, and it was Johnny Key's bill. Uh, but I was one of the first important things that I worked on when I got here, and I feel very strongly about school choice. And we wouldn't have got it through except I've got a 3% cap placed in it. And the 3% cap was so that those who were afraid of school choice, who thought there were going to be masses leaving, knew that they couldn't lose over 3% of their kids a year. Mm-hmm. Much to my chagrin in September, in fact, I had a superintendent that I just wanted to tell him how dumb he was because he didn't know what he was talking about. It turned out I was the dummy. <laughs> uh, is that there? there is no 3% cap. We put 3% cap in, but we came up with this convoluted language, and I missed it, uh, that said siblings count as one. And that's not what it's supposed to say. <laughs> but in other words, every family counts as one. Well, there's no way you can do math with numerators and denominators that that makes sense, apples and oranges. <laughs> so there is no 3% cap. And I want to go forward with school choice. I, very, I think there's much more we need to do with school choice, but I think the first thing we have to do is deal honestly and come back and make that language correction immediately uh, because we cannot expect people to deal with us if they can't trust us. Well, that should uh, be a no-brainer, shouldn't it? I, that's what I thought. I, I thought, and I had, in fact, I knew I would have the signatures on the Senate side because we, we have to get signatures to show that we've got enough support to put something on the, uh, and felt like we could probably get it on the House side. And then while I was out in Long Beach, uh, I, some people came back and shot it down. And what I was very angry about is they come back and said, well, the language wasn't right. Well, if they just have a problem with the language, Paul, they give you a fix for the language. <laughs> As so, opposed but to- when they just want to kill it, they tell you the language is not right. No, okay. And uh, so anyway, I, I'm – I am determined, I know they're listening, I am determined that we will get this fixed. And I am very upset because these are friends of mine. It's one thing, it's one thing when people on the other side uh, let these kind of things happen. But, you know, I wasn't asking for much, just that we fix this technical uh, language. I even thought we could have done it during this fiscal session. Because let me say one more thing. Okay. You know, I've known Paul for years, and he's okay. always been clean cut. And I guess what did he do when he found out y'all were going to do the Facebook TV thing? And yeah. He grew this beard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's my Old Testament prophet. <laughs> I've had a beard ever since I've known you, I think. I is, was, it, is it just I, a little bit longer today? I, and I'm just, I'm just being funny, Paul. I, I was going to no, make people I, think you'd been clean cut all the time. No, years. no, no. I, I, I have a question. What about Jason Rapert's uh, piece of legislation about 529s? Will that be taken up? I think that's going through in this session. Okay. I, I, think, he, I think he got that through in special language unless I'm – I know that uh, some of those who oppose school choice uh, were very unhappy about that. But I was but, thinking I heard it got killed, but I hope it didn't. Well, I hope it didn't uh, because, you know, it it matches federal. If you're willing, to, if you're going to put the money aside in that account, you ought to be able to decide how to spend it. And if you want to spend it for K-12 through versus college or for both, you should be able to do that. I, I agree. That's your money. Uh, for, crying out, state for, cry, money. for crying out loud, you're saving the state tons of money by taking your kids out of public school and putting them in private school. I mean, why would anybody argue with you having that's, a little bit of a, a little bit of a tax break? Because they are against school choice. Yeah. And like I said, I, when, I, when I make a deal with them, I want to honor my side. But I want to, I want to know, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do everything I can to let parents decide 
what ought to happen with their families. Well, protectionism for, well, for that's big like, government schools. That's Medicaid expansion math. If we take <laughs> 70,000 people off, we're going to save the taxpayers a ton of money. But if we kill it, it'll bankrupt the state. Now, when you figure out the math on that, let me know. Right. So on some level, you've got government agencies that, that, that want the money that come with the headcount. I think, and so so what ends up they're they're not there to to save the taxpayers' money; they're there to keep their jobs. I'm afraid, well, in too I, many cases. Again, uh, that that is just a, a simple fairness bill, and it needs to be done. Yeah, I appreciate you, Senator. Thank you very much for coming in on very. I'm just saying, really <coughs> short notice. I was talking to him about Thursday, and he says uh, time today, and I said four o'clock. He says I'll be there. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Fox News is next. Then the Bible guys. All right. Back with you. Dave Ellswick show. Last hour of a Tuesday. And you know what that means? Bible guys are here. Phone lines are open. 823-0965. If you're outside our uh, normal uh, dialing area, it's 501-823-0965. Or you can email us at bibleguys at salemlr.com and then come right up to my phone and uh, I'll uh, read it to Steve and to Scott and they can answer it for you. Of course, uh, Scott Stewart is here. He is the uh, pastor over at Agape Church located at 701 Napa Valley Drive in Little Rock. Sunday service times there are 10 a.m. Their website is aclr.org. And Dr. Scott's got a Twitter account. It's at Dr. Scott Stewart. That's D-R-S-C-O-T-T-S-T-E-W-A-R-T. So if you ever want to just hit him directly, you can do that. He'll be happy to answer you directly back. Also, Steve Hess is here. Works over at uh, uh, Agape as well. Uh, works with the school over yep. there and, and has the, no twitter account and ha- yeah. i am the anti-twitter we have not got to him to do that what's wrong with it if you can't do twitter can you at least do either facebook I'm, or, f- I'm on facebook okay so here you go if you want to send him something what's, what's your facebook i don't know <laughs> steven.hess9 i believe that's facebook <laughs> you that's don't my, know that's my my page name. Well, he's find out. Not right. very helpful. Find no, out not. so that we can share it with the <laughs> listeners. All right. Thank you very much. Get I, with it. Steve. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> I'd like I'm, to. Uh, I drive a Model T as well. Who, who do you bring in here? With I you brought today? in with me one of my oldest and dearest friends. As a matter of fact, I've known this man longer than I've known my wife. If you can imagine that. Wow. This is Gary Bat, Reverend Gary Bat. Gary is a uh, a minister of the gospel. He's been a missionary for oh my goodness, probably what thirty plus years, Gary. At least. And uh, and so he um, he came in for a uh, for a board meeting. I thought I'd ask him to uh, to join us today. And uh, he's a man of God, so he'll be able to jump right in and, and help us sort out any questions that come in. So, are you are you still on the field right now? Yes, uh, we you know we travel in and out of the field. We spend a lot of time in Mexico, uh, mo- mostly Latin America. Yeah, going in and out of. So, what is it like in Latin America now? Uh, Mexico's very harsh. Got a real challenging uh, future ahead. The cartels has weaved their way in. Oh yeah into different areas of society they control for example the avocado business so they own a per- the greater percentage of the avocados that are mm-hmm. sold here they actually gain from so you're telling me that whenever i sit down and do you know my live show that i do at the table that, of my family right. making guacamole 
that I'm helping to cartel. If it comes from Mexico, more than likely you are helping the that cartel. That is so sad. It is sad. It I mean, is that's sad. sad. It, it is. is sad. But it should say something to everybody. It's not all about drugs with them. Right. No. It's all about money. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, uh, if you look at our history, the you know, the motorcycle games, Hell's Angels that were big back when I was small. We were, we were very small. Oh, you're much mm-hmm. older than I am. So it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll leave that there. And uh, we won't talk the truth on that. But, uh, you know, seriously, you know, and they ended up in big business. You know, they quit being motorcycle games and they yep. ended up in businesses, they ended up in Vegas, you know. And so it's kind of the same way that the previous president of Mexico had the car. He'd used the military. He had them on their back. And then the new one that came in uh, basically just, you know, he had, he had a, a form of appeasement trying to appease them, and, of course, that just wrecked the, the situation and empowered them. Yeah, and people lost their heads over it, exactly. literally. Literally. Oh, yeah, tens of thousands of people have died down there. So a friend of mine is running for Senate right there, right now. and uh, he's, oh, he's a, a dangerous, it's a, it's dangerous very volatile. time. Yeah, it is, for so, sure. Yeah, it is. It's very dangerous over there at this time. Did a lot. Uh, I go to hold their feet to the fire that uh, – that's my producer. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> no man pay attention to the you man won't. behind the curtain. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Listen, I, one thing I want to give a big okay, shout out ahead. to my brother-in-law, Matt Jacuzzi. He's listening right now. It's his first time to listen. You know Matt, don't you? Oh, yeah. And so, Matt, hello. If you're listening to us, uh, keep us dialed in. Keep listening, my brother. All right, let's do our first question. David is in Little Rock. Hey, David, how are you? Welcome to uh, the Bible Guys and your question for them. Okay, so I've heard that the only thing that happened to people are the things that God allowed, like predestination. Can you comment on that? Okay, just want to listen in. Uh, yes, please. Okay, well, let you. Okay, you want me to hold you so you can hear it, or you can listen on the radio. I'm gonna listen on the radio. Okay, thank you very much. Predestination. All right, thank you so much. There's uh, a lot David. of misunderstanding about predestination. Uh, yeah, there really is. Uh, there's, there's the um, basically there's two. Dominant thoughts related to this. You have those who believe in predestination, which is basically, um, for example, one great, very well known individual, the Prince of Preachers by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He made the statement, he said, A dust particle does not float through the air that God did not determine its trajectory. In other words, he believed everything that happened was already predetermined before it even happened, which means everything anybody does is already automatically predetermined. Uh, this goes back into a lot of our denominations are uh, Calvinistic. I was which, just going to say Calvinistic yeah, denominations for yeah, sure. Yeah, so you have Calvinism and you have Arminianism. Armenians believe in, in free will and Calvin's belie- Calvinists believe in uh, in predestination. And it truly is a totally predestination situation. Uh, and, and if that's the case, basically what they believe is whatever God's will is happens. Um, and I think that the scripture itself proves that that is just not the case. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone perish, mm-hmm. yet people perish every day, which means the will of God is not done in the earth. The will of God is subverted by people based upon their free will. Uh, and uh, I, I would fall on the side of being an Armenian, which basically deals with the, the ability to choose uh, life, choose death, choose my future. Uh, so predestination, guys, what do you what do you think, Steve? Uh, no, because— um if there was predestination, there'd be no point in praying. There would only be point in worshiping. And all we would do is just throw up praise to God and thank him for whatever we have or whatever we don't have, whatever's going on or whatever's not going on. But yeah, instead, because regardless of what you do, correct. whether you pray or not, the end result's already predetermined. Correct. So he gave us the option to, to seek him and to seek his wisdom and counsel. So if that's the case, then that means things can go to the left or to the right based on how we 
um, either make a choice or ask God to move on a certain situation or not to move. Well, I'm of the opinion that God wants us to choose him, but he doesn't make us choose him. So because if he made us knowing that we weren't going to choose him, is that not one all of you got to do? Is go isn't back that to the, one of the worst gods you yeah, could ever where, hear? Where's the justice of God? Here? Well, if you look at, it, I read years ago. I read an article and and had comment commentary on it that this uh, our I call a reporter in Vietnam stated he read an article and someone had said, "Yeah, God is in control of everything," and basically it predestined this war mm-hmm. and where people were killed. And even a heathenistic, atheistic right reporter said that's not true. Right. Even I, who don't even believe in a God, there is no one that could sanction this kind of evil right. and right. have any good. Right. And at least I know if there's a God, he's good. Right. Yeah. And so, and then you can't form covenant because he said in uh, Exodus, I believe, 31, where it says, he said, I lay before you That's right. blessing, life, death, and curse. Yeah. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. But he said, I'm telling choose you, choose life. You choose it. life. Yeah. You know where I'm going. That's yeah. Right. And so Absolutely. if that, if predestination is the, the format, I remember being at ORU and, uh, uh, in our humanities classes, Schaffner. Uh, he talked about that, and he was based out of Switzerland there. And I remember yeah, him Francis being, Schaefer. We were yeah, just talking about him before. Yeah, me, yeah. and that man had lot. more. Oh God, had more, <laughs> more, other than Jesus Christ Himself. All right. Yeah, there was Francis Schaefer. Yes, there was. <laughs> I'm just saying. And I learned more about history, society, church history from him and his perspective. I'll show you. And then I had a professor, yeah. Dr. Jerry Hannum, was our New Testament professor there in that years, and I think he ended up with Dr. Pat Robertson, but. I remember he made the Bible, and we talked about predestination. We talked about predestination. We talked about those things that, and he looked at us and said, you know, if there was predestined, Christ wouldn't, would, have, would not have had to come. That's right. Because he said God's will would have been from the moment of the garden, there'd be, you know, uh, the propitiation of Christ would not have been a, been a question. That's right. Been anyway, I could, we could, but it, it was great to hear that aspect because it settled our hearts. Yeah. No, of course. But so Absolutely. many people are, are messed up by this because they, they, they then— at this point, then society says, well, I'm not responsible for my own right. actions. Whatever I do, I do because God wills it to happen. You could go they back to the very first. Right. They say that now. Go back to yeah. the very first story in the book of Genesis. So that means that why did God kick Adam out of the garden if he willed for him to sin? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't God's will. Adam made a choice. Yeah, exactly right. Well, yeah, I had a I professor don't... at ULR years ago, and she talked about this. Being from a, a Catholic background, she's you know that's it's a lot of the focus there god does things ahead to show you and i asked her the question i said if that's true then you don't have no right to prosecute a rapist that's right sure or a criminal because it was predestined by god and i said if somebody did that to you or your daughter you would want justice yep and she kind of looked at me in a sense of you know give me that profound look in the class but it was really i remember hearing that and it was like you know what you got to be able to there's no law with predestination in that's other right. words god's already designed it. you can't right. prosecute the rapist yep. whatever yep. So she find, she had a Ford has a better idea moment. The little light went on over exactly. there. Yeah, right. Well, there's a there's a new movement out there called the New Calvinist, um, and uh, they've got some very expansive uh, churches going on right now. Um, and these New Calvinists are people who also believe in the gifts of the Spirit, which is very different. Most people don't know this, but but Bap, the Baptist denomination they're Calvinistic. Oh yeah, uh, and they they believe that uh, that there is, for example, you know, once saved, always saved. This is a part of the um, the philosophy of uh, of Calvinism, and um, and they believe in the elect, and so at any rate, there is a lot of new Calvinists out there. But interestingly, though, for me, I'm looking at this one guy in Texas. I'm drawing a blank, uh, Chandler, I think is his last name, and he um, he he's one of the new Calvinists who believes that God basically does everything, 
yet he has a wonderful ministry reaching out to and trying to help um, uh, stop abortion. And you know, I'm like, you know, how how are you even? How do you even live just in justifying this in your own action? If you believe in everything that everything happens, God is doing it. Then aren't you fighting against God by trying to stop this? Calvinism basically to me produces a, a people who uh, sit back and do nothing. They they have no uh, recourse into trying to develop society or help society or, or pray things through. It takes incentive away from my perspective. All right, eight two three zero nine six five. That's how this show works. You call in, you ask a question. And today we've got three guys here that mm. will try to answer for you. And I throw in my asides once in a while. Hey, don't forget about uh, Horton's Prosthetics and Orthotics. Uh, their phone number there is 663-2908. We're at 5220 West 12th Street in Little Rock. And while I got a moment here, let me talk to you women who have gone through problems with breast cancer. Maybe you've lost one or mo- maybe both of your breasts have had them removed. Uh, the prosthetics that the folks at Horton Orthotics and Prosthetics offer uh, can help you get your self-esteem back, move forward after having that kind of traumatic surgery uh, done to your body. They have special people over there that will help you. In fact, on Monday at 5 o'clock, be li- listening, because from Horton's, I'm going to have Trina on, and that's the area she works in. So if you want to ask some questions at Horton's, that will give you the opportunity to do that. Their phone number, though, is 663-2908-5220 West 12th Street in Little Rock is their location. And again, it's Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. Back with you. It is the Bible, guys. They'll be with us until uh, 6 o'clock. Aaron is on a phone talking to us from Sheridan. Aaron, how are you? Welcome to the show. Bible guys are waiting for your question. Awesome. All right. Hey, just kind of going a little further with the predestination thing. Um, I've been talking to a couple guys, going back and forth with them, you know, because the Bible talks about how, you know, salvation is predestined for for everyone, but not everyone accepts it. Am I, am I right there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Anyway, so we so then they go a little further. We've been going back and forth because um, I, I agree with y'all. Uh, I happen to listen to a lot of uh, Pastor Scott's teaching. Um, but I, they, they they say that God already knows who is going to be saved and who's not. And, right. uh, you know, knows, knows your choices and stuff. So I, 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 it just doesn't sit right with me. I, I don't really know how to, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to leave that there with you all, and I'll, uh, I'll listen on the radio. All right. We'll let you, right. we'll, right. we're going to let them go. Go ahead, Scott. All right. Well, first of all, thanks a lot for listening to uh, my, my teachings. I really appreciate that. Um, uh well, of course, God does know everyone who's going to be saved because God is omniscient. He knows everything. Um, and um, you, have to, you have to be careful. The word predestined does not mean today what it meant in 1611 whenever it was originally used. Today, we think when we say, well, people are predestined to be saved. It doesn't mean that God has, in the sense that they're meaning that God is already predetermined, but God merely knows who's going to be saved because he is om- omniscient in that way. So it's basically taking an ancient word and putting a modern uh, kind of twist. slant on it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm giving and, it a modern I've, twist. Yeah, I've got something to add when you're done. Yeah, and, and it's almost like the word baptism, for example. The word baptism is not even an English word. It's what we call a transliterated word. The tran- the real word is baptismo. It's Greek. So we don't speak Greek. So we took a baptismal word, changed it into baptism, and use it in American English. 
Now, and so because of that, people, some people immerse, some people sprinkle, some people do whatever. And, but if you would have translated the word, it actually means to immerse. So nobody would ever be sprinkled That's right. if you just translate the word out and got the right meaning. But because we take a word from antiquity and use it in a modern way, you can say, are you baptized? Yes, I was baptized as a baby. No, you weren't. You were sprinkled. Baptism means complete immersion. So but predestination is, it works in the same fashion. Are we predestined to be saved in the sense God knows he's going to be saved? Yes. Does God force our will to be saved? The answer is no. And once again, you go back to the verse of Scripture that says, God is not willing that any perish yet people perish. Therefore, it's not his will that determines the outcome at the end of the day. And like a lot of things, we have it backwards in the West. And if you look at the story, I, I believe the context of this story is when um, um, God said to Moses, get out of the way, I'm going to kill every single one of these guys, uh, and we're going to start over with you. And I believe that that point was the point in which Moses said, then blot my name out of your book. And so th- what's the idea? The idea is everybody's name was originally written in the book. And when we get to heaven, we will have made a choice to have it removed, not have it written in. So God has, from the beginning, this idea, since Moses said, remove my name, don't add my name. So God has always desired, just like Scott said, um, quoting where it says, God desires everybody be saved. He was so, because he is a God of faith and he expects us to walk in faith, he wrote everybody's name in from the beginning. And I kind of look at, instead of this mean old judgment seat when we go, that almost a of a hurt father is going to say, you asked me to remove your name. Not, well, I didn't see your name. You didn't say all the right things and do all the right things. No, I had you here, but you asked me to remove it. So you choose to be unelected, basically. Yep. All right, let's go on. Let's go to um, Marcy in Bryant. Hey, Marcy, how are you? Welcome to the Bible, guys. Great, thank you. Uh, just wondering if you guys have heard of Calvinism's tulip doctrine, and if you could explain that for me. All right. Can you explain that? He can. I'm getting the, the, the head shake saying yes, Marcy. <laughs> so listen awesome. in, and he's ready to go. Here goes Pastor Scott. Oh, thank you, Marcy. Uh, the uh, the tulip doctrine goes back to, once again, uh, the five points of Calvinism. Uh, it's an acronym uh, that details kind of what they believe. The T stands for total depravity. And it's a belief that man is totally depraved. Kind of the idea goes back to original sin, that everybody is conceived in a sinful way. And so it goes to total depravity. The U uh, stands for um, uh, un- unconditional um, acceptance, unconditional um, election, where God is unconditionally electing people. This goes back to the predestination idea. So he unconditionally elects people. Uh, so he basically chooses them beforehand. This goes, as I said, goes back to the predestination the L stands for limited atonement, uh, and this is a, a big part because they believe that atonement that Jesus made is only for the elect, uh, which makes it very difficult for, for most people to embrace. But they believe in a limited. Jesus' blood was limited in its atoning ability. It only could atone for the, dele- uh, the elect. The I is irresistible grace. You cannot, those who've been elected cannot resist the grace of God. They must respond and must be uh, saved. And the last one is the perseverance of the saints. And basically that goes back to the idea of um, once saved, always saved. That once you're in, you can't get out type idea. So that's, and Calvinism kind of runs along those lines. Armenianism kind of kind of uh, balances that out and brings it into a little bit of different, because uh, well, Armenianism doesn't agree with Calvinism at all when it comes to the election or unelection or uh, predestination. But that's the idea of TULIP. 
you know, and you're, I think we could probably agree that that the world is a depraved place. I mm-hmm. think we can believe that God's grace is irresistible. I think we we could agree that uh, that those who are going to continue with the faith to the end are going to be saved. But limited atonement, right? No, no. All right, you either saved or you're not. It's like you're either pregnant or you're not. <laughs> can't, can't be kind of pregnant. Okay, <laughs> you're either saved or you're not. You're not kind of saved. All right, take a break. We'll come back with more after Fox News. All right, if you're watching, you're seeing what we're doing. I just dumped my coffee on the uh, studio here. So you got a mess. Got a mess right now. We're working on it. (laughs) Get it out of the way. All right. How many guys does it take to clean up a mess? uh, The whole bunch of us. (laughs) The whole bunch. Thank you. Sir. There we are. Appreciate it. I got to have coffee. This is something I need. For you that are not on Facebook, you didn't see that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Katcha and everybody else did. Now, Dave, has this ever happened in all the years you've been on radio? I have dumped coffee before, but not a brand new cup. <laughs> okay. That was a whole cup of coffee. Man. Yeah. It just went everywhere. But we, it's pretty well cleaned up. Thank you guys for bringing the paper towel. Oh, you're welcome. A lot. All right. Hey, don't forget about uh, what David Lucas is doing. He is doing these uh, seminars, these Social Security benefits classes, so that you know what to do to to claim your Social Security benefits. Because if you do it wrong, it's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars in lost benefits probably over the lifetime that you get Social Security or increased taxes, higher Medicare premiums and you know David because he does a radio show here on 96.5 and it's every Saturday 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. He's hosted 17 of these educational social security workshops and they've all sold out and it's all because of his expertise. He knows this information. He knows it well and he'll help you save a lot of money. Registration is just 18 bucks. It includes a 34 page maximizing social security workbook and you don't want to get cheated out of one dollar versus or even you know one dollar you don't want to get cheated out of thousands of dollars because you put your money into this program you want to make sure you get your money out of the program uh call 501-653-6690 that is 501-653-6690 or visit davidlucasfinancial.com and sign up for this so that you know you got the best information you need to make the right decisions about Social Security. I got to do that next year because next year I am able to start claiming Social Security benefits. At 65? Yeah, at 66. All right. I'm 65 now. Mm. It's 65 in February of uh, 15. So, you know, I I got to sit down and listen to the whole presentation again to see if I want to do it at 66 or if I want to wait to I'm 70 because then you get what more? I take, yeah, I get mm. about 31% more. Oh, so it might waiting be three years. It gives you yeah, that. You might wait, want to wait more. Oh, wow. Or maybe by not waiting more, I can invest that money in my 401k and sure. make more money off it. I mean, there's some decisions that I got to make. Right. Yeah. I don't like to make them in a vacuum and, and mm. David's good at teaching this stuff. So, Make sure, 501-653-6690, and uh, call in. Call in now because these always sell out. You don't want to be left out in the cold on this. All right, let's go back and and pick up again 
from the first half hour talking about predestination. And, and Russ, did you check? Do we have quite a few people making some little remarks about uh, what we're talking about today? Yeah, we got some mar- got some remarks. You can make remarks well, while we, you're watching the show if you want to. We could have a little fun with that and say that was kind of rude of God to knock that coffee cup over on us. Oh, yeah, he knew it was going to happen. <laughs> was that predestined to happen? Did he know. determine that? It, de- it depends. And one good guy got you a new coffee. Somebody's watching. <laughs> well, that must be that the good guy must be Steve then. It's Angel. Ah, Angel said that. Yeah, Angel said that. Well, I think I think Angel, are we not all good guys here? <laughs> I mean, Pixie said dumped coffee. <laughs> Tragic. That's right. For me, yes, that is true. Tragic. It really truly is. So now our fingers are all sticky because we've yeah. all been uh, yeah. cleaning up the coffee. I don't feel that way. No. I feel clean. Smells nice in here, though. Well, you know, it's not, it that, it's not that nice. bad. By the way, I, I did want to let people know, the 25th of this month, if you'd like to come to a Seder, Last Supper, you can do that uh, at New Life Church in Cabot. Mm-hmm. Now, to be able to do it, though, you're going to have to sign up for it, and we're going to have that set up for, by tomorrow, and it'll be an Eventbrite, and you can come going to cost $15 a person and that's to cover the food for the meal that occurs during uh the seder and you're going to learn a lot of stuff a the, whole lot of stuff the church learned a lot last year the group that was oh, there man they still talk about it do they yes mm. and they tell people we're doing it again this year i know there's a couple of life groups that have already said that they're coming so i mean there were people actually waiting on me yeah, there were people in tears Weeping. last year. Afterwards, yeah, it was a it was a wonderful time. Yeah, it was really really good. And uh, Pastor Steve and I will be will be conducting. They're going to lead it. Yeah, they're going to lead it. And I've I've made the the offer. I'm hoping that James Bennett gets to come, mm-hmm. but sometimes he leaves that weekend because that's the weekend before Easter, right. mm-hmm. and he's got four services that he's got to do for mm-hmm. Easter. So no, of course, yeah, we'll see what happens. But we'll be about talking that. about it, I'm sure, over the next few weeks leading up to it. Yeah, on the, on the show. radio. Yeah. Yep. We will be doing that. So anyway, just keep that in mind. As soon as it's up on Eventbrite, I'll let you know, and uh, you can go there and find it and and uh, pay your money and come on. Great. We're going to open it up for everybody. So if you want to go to a Seder, you've never been to one, you need to go to one. It should be good. All right. So you guys got some questions that came from yep. uh, Pixie and some of the other people who watch in other parts of the world. Yes, I think we have one here from uh, Boston. This is from uh, Satin that came through. Um uh, and uh, and she writes, um, are you familiar familiar with the Didaki? And uh, the answer Didaki? is yes. Yeah. Yes, something, something from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it? Seriously? Yeah. The Didaki. The Didaki. It yeah. sounds like it comes the from Star Wars. Be with you. you know, <laughs> <talking> <laughs> uh, yes, I'm familiar with that. She asked the question um, uh, if it is uh, if it's a relevant uh, uh, doctrine, if it's legitimate relating to the first century, uh, and um, and is it worth investigating for those of uh, of faith. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, Satin, I purchased myself a Didaki probably you know, maybe four or five months ago. I've known about the Didaki for years um, and uh, heard a lot of things about Stop. What is the Didaki? <laughs> okay. Is it something that you wear? <laughs> uh, no. No, it's not something you wear. Style of it's, it's, a, it's a form of headgear. Oh, okay. I'm no, joking, Dave. It's, it's not. It's sarcasm. Not, no. <laughs> sarcasm. Sorry. Okay, I have no, no idea. No, the Didaki is... Um, it's actually, uh, a basically, if I boil it down, it's basically a manual on how to do life together as believers and followers of Jesus. Of Yeshua. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. 
and it was uh, it was it was uncovered. And it was dated to be from the first century. So basically, the Didache is a manual that tells people that would have been living during or right at the very end of the apostolic age. In other words, right around the time where the last of the twelve apostles were passing away, they left them John. a manual. John, yeah. yeah, this is how you guys need to keep doing life together. Uh, and um, and so I believe it's a very worthwhile uh, thing to look at. I've not read the whole thing yet myself, so um, I can't put a 110% stamp on it, but um, I'm interested enough in it to have gone out and purchased a copy of it because I have heard a lot of, of academics and scholars saying this is a very worthwhile, and it's substantiated that it is a very ancient document. Okay, so this came from back, like, in the within the hundred years of Christ. Yes. Yeah. So it is, it is probably one of the, it is probably, it could probably be dated to the exact same time as the writing of the gospels. Yeah. So it was written at the same time. The gospels okay, were written so, roughly. So is this on amazon.com? You should be able to get it there. You can get it a lot of different places. Um, Cause now you got my interest stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, but it's, pick it up. it's not necessarily. And it, when um, Scott and I were talking about, it, I told him it was on my list of purchase and studying it, except for some of the classes I've taken and heard about it. But, um, that it's not necessarily that you would look at it like uh, like we do like the like the writings like the gospels or anything like that, but um, it's directing on some of the prayers that they said, how they did service, when they met, and direct in dealing with some of the things that they were dealing with. And I believe it was more towards the latter part of the first and then the early second centuries, about that period of time. Okay, so it would have been it would probably within about fifty years then after the yeah. last gospel was written, something yeah. like that. But it basically is a very practical book, so it's not an inspired book of any any sort. But it basically tells them how they were supposed to do service. It actually tells them how they did service. The pastor, the leader of the congregation, he used to be called um, the prince. The, he was called the nasi or the prince of the congregation. Uh, sometimes he was called the president mm-hmm. of the congregation. Um, the term pastor, as we use it today, is is not uh, uh, was not as commonly used, but they used more terms that were found in the synagogue. That's something really, really cool about the book. When you look at it, you find the very strong connection to Judaism. Synag- huh? To Judaism, mm-hmm. right. And what a lot of people don't realize is when we have unearthed um, uh, churches from the first century, regardless of where in the world they were at, all of them had one thing in common. It wasn't necessarily their size or their shape, but one thing they all had in common, whether they were in Turkey or they were in Greece or they were in Israel, but all of them had the same longitude and latitudinal direction of their foundation. In other words, every church... Pointing the, towards Jerusalem. Was pointing to Jerusalem. I'm, think, I'm saying that just makes sense. Regardless of where they're at, which means that the first century churches, wherever they were at, the apostles or the leaders instilled in the people the importance of the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, so that when they stood and they worshiped, they worshiped facing Jerusalem. As they stood in the congregation and prayed, they prayed towards Jerusalem. All of them did that very same thing. And the Dadaki written during that time period gave practical things. What do you do if someone wasn't at church and they miss communion? How do you deal with that? Yeah. And then they tell you how to deal with that. So it's a very practical I book in that look, sense. I think I want to look at that. I want to see what it has to say. Yeah. Sorry. By the way, do do we as believers that are not Jewish, mm-hmm. okay, uh, that we, what's the word that they gur. use? Okay, the gur. Yeah. Uh, do we look at... Uh, the gur is a Hebrew word referring to the word to a oh, foreigner, yeah, we're, we're, you're starting to use Hebrew words. That's right. Okay. Look at you. You know what? A, you know what a gur is. I believe. <laughs> you know, well, I believe in what you all have been teaching. Yeah. I mean, if you do any study after you hear what they what they say, it just makes sense 
to follow mm-hmm. what's there. As you learn the truth, you should start instituting. That's it, right. You? Yeah. But uh, the, I'm just wondering at the end of our Passover meal, from what I understand, the last thing that is said now uh, amongst the Jews is next year in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Do we do that too? If we, if we follow a traditional um, Seder meal, then yeah, we'll all shout next year in Jerusalem. So um, I think that's cool. That is cool. All the all the Jewish people they do that is because they've been in exile since seventy and one thirty five, right? And so they've been longing to go back to the land. But from a spiritual standpoint, all of us who are not uh, Jews by blood but have been grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel, aka the Church, we should have this same mentality because the word of the Lord is going to go forth from Zion, from Jerusalem. And when the millennial reign happens and all that, that's where the king's going to be reigning from. So well, we should also come back. It. Correct. So we should have that mentality that is declared at the end of Passover next year in Jerusalem. I can't think of a better place to be than at the epicenter of the celebration. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, still, seriously. Yeah. It just makes it not saying that I'm going to be, I don't know. I might be dancing at that time. I because, think you will because, be. Because uh, the Savior has come back. There'll be a reason to dance, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there'll be a lot of reasons to dance <laughs> at yeah. that point. You know? A lot of people have to, we just have to remember that the connection between who we are and where we came from has unfortunately been severed by a Greek blade, and it has to be reconnected, um, and that does take a little bit of time. But if you think about it, the head of the Church Universal is a Jewish rabbi by the name of Yeshua. He's a Hebrew. Yeah. The first, the apostle to the Gentiles, was a Jewish rabbi by the name of Shaul, a Hebrew. The pastor of the first Gentile congregation in Antioch was Barnabas, sent there by the apostles, a Hebrew, to take over and pastor there. He hung out with Paul. He hung out with Paul. He was Paul's mentor. (laughs) And then beyond all that, every time we see the apostle Paul going into Gentile nations, the first place he goes to is the synagogue. Yes. Every time. Why? Because you can't turn a pagan, rock-worshipping, tree-hugging pagan into a pastor in a year and a half or six months. No. So what does Paul do? He goes to the synagogue. He gets a handful of Jewish people born again. And Jewish people, if you didn't know this, had to have, um, well, if you were if you were a, a little boy by the age of 13, Bar Mitzvah, you had to have the first five books of the Bible committed to memory. If you were a rabbi, you had to have the entire Bible committed to memory. That's incredible. Isn't that incredible? And so what he would do, he'd get a few men born again. And then guess what? That's the new pastor of the church. So every Gentile church started had a Jewish person as their pastor. During the lifetime of Paul, there was not one Gentile leading a congregation on the planet. Every church was thoroughly connected to their Hebrew roots, which is obviously reflected in their, even their building, their buildings, all the foundations facing to Jerusalem. We have cut that with a Greek blade and separated ourselves from the origin of our faith. Okay, so here's the question. So when you hear about Apollos and and all the rest, Mm -hmm. were they all Jews? Is that, or were they all Jew pastors is what they were? Well, they though they were they would have been proselytes, uh, and a proselyte is kind of like a ger. Basically, before when Paul would go into the synagogue, what you'd find is you'd find Jewish people, and then you'd find also another group of people there uh, that they were called proselytes, or they were called um, God fearers. God fearers, thank you. And uh, these were Gentiles who had accepted the one true God before they ever heard the message of Messiah. And what had they done? They had basically become Jews. They had gone into the synagogue and become a part, not fully converted. That's why they were called god fears and things like that mm-hmm. so they're already ing- integrated into the hebraic root by being involved in synagogue and that's where he would uh, find them but apollos we don't know that they were pastors they were believers and they were disciples they were part well, they of the movement preaching. 
They're out preaching, uh, but they weren't necessarily pastors. If you remember, there were no churches in the world until Paul went out and planted them, uh, or until Barnabas did, or until uh, the other apostles did. So, um, Paul, remember one time Paul found some apostles, some disciples, and said, Have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, We didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. Yeah, right. So, there were disciples that were starting to flood out everywhere. Yeah, if you look at it, Bible says that Paulus and, and uh, Priscilla were uh, helped to those who had already believed in Christ Jesus. So if you look at it, that was the watering aspect that Paul said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So the aspect of looking at, I've had that question posed for me, were they Jewish? I don't know. But the, like you said, let me say let me say this. I traveled extensively in a lot of places to see the church. I've lived in five countries and worked. We have no culture in the church today. Most of this, what is termed as experiential theology. Mm-hmm. And I believe in it. I believe there's a part of worship. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's a part of us. But we have don't have roots. Yeah, We don't know why we believe what we believe. Mm-hmm. And being raised in a certain denomination I was, that was predicated in our being young. That was taught to us in what we called Sunday school, mm-hmm. which sure. I don't think is around anymore. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew, it's still there. Is it? Yeah. And I guess in certain places, but I don't see it anymore very rarely. Yeah. And I talk to a lot of believers today, and, and I ask them, do you know what you believe? And they'll look at you like a cow at a new gate. Mm-hmm. And they'll look in there like, hmm, no, I don't. You're do from you the South, aren't you? I'm from the South. <laughs> I can tell that. Cow at a new gate. <laughs> <laughs> and, but the, the, the forum bearing, you, you have conversation with pastors, and you'll say, do you understand the fundamental beliefs of, or whatever, and they'll look at you and go, okay, uh, yeah, uh, but, well, let's discuss the virgin birth. Do you understand the virgin birth? Why the virgin birth? Where did it start? What what predicated the virgin birth? And they'll look at you and go, well, I know it's important. Yeah, yeah it's like and, and, one of the most important doctrines. Yeah. Well, you know, seriously, but we don't have tradition. Right. And cultures that remain, that remain their spiritual heritage, if you look at the world's face today, they have discipleship. They have proselytes. They have... And we have become a nation, or the Western world has become a nation, to where if you define discipleship, it's I show up at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we don't disciple people. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, if you, I mean, there's no tradition in the. All right, we're going to take a break. Yeah. And that's a great point that you're making right there. That's a serious point that's being made right mm-hmm. now. You're going to be hanging around for very long? Uh, a little bit. Okay, well, I'm just talking about you. You're going to be in the area for very long? A uh, couple of days, yes. Okay, well, not till next Tuesday? Not on that. No, no well, I'll be. Bummer. I'll be traveling. Well, maybe I have to have you back on my show on Thursday or Friday. Anyway, it's the Dave Ellswick show. Don't forget about Aero Plumbing. You need to have a, a plumber come out and do the job and do it right. Aero Plumbing is people to get a hold of at aeroplumbing.net or just Google Aero Plumbing. You'll find all the contact information there. Master plumbers come to your house. They put the little booties on. You won't get any plumber's uh, pencil holder. They got uniforms they wear that, that fit them correctly. So when they bend over, ooh, didn't want to see that. It's all done very professional. And they've got the equipment to dig under uh, your driveway or under your parking lot, under the flower garden, whatever is necessary, and do the work underground. That is Aero Plumbing. Aero Plumbing, Earl is proud of his company, should be. You should use them because they'll take really Good care of you. That's Arrow Plumbing. We're into the last few moments here of the Dave Ellswick Show for a Tuesday. These gentlemen will be back with us again next Tuesday on the the whole thing dealing with, of course, uh, 
the Bible guys and answering any Bible questions. Remember, if if some if you get a question during the course of the week, and you go, man, I wish I'd asked that. Just send an email mm-hmm. to Bible Guys at SalemLR.com. And it's going to come to me, and I'm going to take it and hold on to it. And these gentlemen will take it on uh, in our next broadcast. I'll make sure that it gets asked and it gets answered for you. Amen. Also, remember now that we're live on uh, you know Facebook Live. You can watch the show. You can always go back and, and view it at another time. Uh, we've had some some that have been looked at extensively. And uh, you can also look at, not look, but listen to the podcast. We've got that as well. So, Scott, thank you very much for coming in. Thank Steve, you, Dave. thank you. Thank you, Dave. And pardon me, but I forgot. Gary. Gary, okay. Gary from the south. <laughs> like a cow looking at a new, <laughs> a new gate. I hadn't heard that one before. I like that one. That's a good one because that's what they do. What is that? Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you, Dave. We'll be back Thank again you. next uh, Tuesday with the Bible Guys. Tomorrow, got a full show. Just be listening. I'll tell you all about it on our promos. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.